Are you feeling stuck making minimum payments on your credit card debt? SaveWithConrad.com can help, and you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Get rid of your credit card debt and lower your monthly payments right now at SaveWithConrad.com. Hey, race fans, Hall of Famer Daryl Walter here. You know it's time to drop the green flag on another edition of Meaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. Powered by Pacematic. So, hey, pull those bells tight one more time. Here's my buddy Hermie Sadler and Senator Bill Stanley. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Let's see what they have to say, boys and girls. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and I am leaning right. And I'm former NASCAR driver and Fox Sports analyst Hermie Sadler, and I am turning left, leaning right, and turning left with Sadler and the Senator. As always, powered by Pacemed. Afternoon, gentlemen. How are we doing? So how are we going to handle the introduction of our – now, look, we, I want to say up front, you guide the, 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 you know, the ship when it comes to the podcast. We're trying did you something. say ship or did you say another word? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're trying something new for the first time today. Uh, Senator, you, do you want to elaborate before we – enable our third panel member to introduce himself? Uh, absolutely. I think I should take control since this is the only thing in our business ventures that I do control or at least try to control and it never works out that way either way. But yes, we have a new advertiser. We have a new sponsor that's come on board. We I'm have... not even talking about that. I'm not talking about that yet. Oh, okay. I'm talking about the fact that we have got a three-man booth all remote for the first time ever on the podcast. Sure. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay, fine. I'll talk about that. You know, I just can't wait to talk about your balls. I, but I, I I'm know. trying to set up the yeah. doodads. Uh, I'm here at the mothership of the Stanley Law Group here in the Stanley Law Group studios in the conference room at the beautiful Holland Duncan House. And we have three people, a thruple of podcasting, so to speak. Uh, Hermie, you're there in Emporier at the Sadler Brothers Oil yeah. Uh, headquarters, I believe. And then we have yep. back as our sidekick, again, our plus one, uh, the man who needs not much of an introduction, but might need bail after getting a phone call like this. You have an incoming call from Shep Moss, an inmate at the Mecklenburg County Correctional Facility. To accept this call, please press one. We pressed one. He's on again. Everybody, Shep Moss. Hey, Shep. God, that's just a gift that keeps on giving. Thanks, Senator. Hermie, how y'all doing today? We're doing great. We're doing great. So we're trying for the first time with the idea of, of having all three of us on and doing it remotely for the first time. So if there are any growing pains, we apologize up front, but I'm sure Brad Tuesday can make us all look and sound eloquent as always. Just like Manscaped. I, I miss I do miss being with you guys, so it's a little different feel. I, I miss being with y'all. Yeah, I like oh, it better when see? all three of us are there together. It's nice. Yeah. And uh, and actually, so, Shep, where are you today so that you can tell the audience, while you're not with me here at the Stanley Law Group Mothership, you are not in Emporier with uh, Sadler Brothers Oil with Herm. Where are you? I am based at the Boyd Automotive World Headquarters in downtown beautiful South Hill, Virginia. Excellent. Are you selling cars? We we actually heard you were talking to people about what rebates, 
before you now, got on rebates there? Rebates and discounts, yes, sir. How's the car yes. business? We are busy. How's the car business? Car business is good. We're having a having a great uh, had a great September and a good start to October. So, so Bill, do we want to get Chet to give us an, an update on the, his uh, town council situation before he does his sponsor read, or we want I to get think, the sponsor read in first? I think that's a good idea because I really you know, don't have an update. Okay, because well, I takes care of that uh, one. Town council meeting. Well, our town council meeting is October the 10th. I can just briefly tell you there's there's really been no update, no more communication between the town attorney and myself or my attorney. So I, I really don't have an update. For those that may be. Everything's so, kind of quiet. Then, so the show is sponsored by Pacematic. Leaning Right is, is sponsored by Charlie's Waterfront Cafe. Turning Left is sponsored by Vista Installations. Shep, who are you sponsored by? Well, I've been told the town council segment is being sponsored officially by Manscaped. <laughs> and I'm excited to be the spokesperson and representative for them in this podcast. Well, tell um, us some more about it, Chef. You can read for I, us? Or? Well, well, look, it's October is here, so I want to welcome everybody to Fresh Fall Ball. It's the season of pumpkin spice and making sure that your crotch looks nice. <laughs> that means sipping cider in a fall breeze and using Manscaped products to trim your balls with ease. That's right, <laughs> today's show and chef segment is brought to you by Manscaped, a company here to make sure that your foliage isn't the only thing shedding its excess leaves. <laughs> Heck, even mother nature knows it's time to lose that excess clutter for fall. Join the six million men and me, Chef Moss, who have trusted Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off, plus free shipping if you use the code Sadler, that's S-A-D-L-E-R at checkout. Well, that's right. When you go to, to the checkout, show, Shep, that's great. When you go to checkout, you got to use the code name Sadler to get that benefit, and I think it's a really good benefit. Listen, I've I've gotten the whole package. I got the Platinum Package 4.0, and I'm going to tell you seriously. Uh, you know, we got it because we were to try it out to see if if this was some sponsor that we'd want to have on the show. I use the body wash. I use the shampoo and conditioner. I use really? the trimmers. Uh, yeah, I use the refresher. <laughs> I use I use it all, and so you um, did your due diligence on this sponsor. It's put ten years back on my life. It really has. I feel like a forty-five year old right now. So, um, you know, I know Hermie's a little shy about this. Shep, I know you. You just dive right in. You're a guy that says, "Hey, man, let's make this work." But this really is a good product, and I think we as men owe it to ourselves. You know, they have manicure and pedicure places. They got places where women can go get their hair done. Well, we can do our hair right in our own home. How about that? You take on a right. You know, talking about being shy, the, the, the funniest thing I saw this week was, and I'm sure Senator Stanley was behind it, there was an ad that popped up on Facebook, <laughs> Manscaped, you know, on the <laughs> podcast, and it had a picture of me from 1993 when I was driving the Virginia's for Lovers Chevrolet, and newsflash, I didn't need Manscaped back in those days. <laughs> Yeah, you so looked it was pretty a little young. bit, little bit pre, you a little looked, bit pre. You looked a little young, so, but Virginia's for uh, Manscaped today. I don't, I don't <laughs> think Manscaped would uh, give you that look again today either. Not being ugly, but you know, yeah. a whole different time back then. Well, so how, how has since you're the official spokesperson, Shep, uh, and we welcome all of our viewers to, you know, go to uh, Manscaped and, and use that uh, code Sadler to get twenty percent off. What has your experience been uh, with Manscaped? Senator Stanley seems to have had wonderful results. 
Well, I can tell you I have had no chafing or chafing, however you want to pronounce <laughs> that. Uh, it's a very refreshing feeling. Um, it makes me look a little thinner. So I think between <laughs> Manscaped and the weight loss challenge that we're in, uh, I, I'm very optimistic about the results. I think I think my better half is going to enjoy it as well. So there you go. And you know that's if, who we need to get a report from. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great thing we need to get a report from. But you know, with this weight loss challenge, the three of us is, have entered a weight loss challenge. See who can lose the most weight over the holidays. Come back our first uh, podcast in January. Have a weight off to determine who who could be the lightest of the three or who lost the most weight. And it could come down to who manscaped right before the weigh-in. I mean, it could be that close. But so Hermie's not doing it. So we already, Shep, we already have an advantage with Manscaped at manscaped.com. I I, got to just go ahead and complain. We're probably going to have to be as that Manscaped is going to be a regular part of the show. And it's going to be something that Senator Stanley is going to make sure that we abide by and and use the products that we advertise on the show. We're going to have to probably reweigh the next time we're all in the same building because I have historically tried to maintain proper grooming and Shep has probably had enough hair on him prior to Manscaped to weave an Indian blanket. So he's going to lose an unfair amount of weight prior to or get that advantage, you know, before we come back for the weight loss challenge. So, Shep, would you be in favor of potentially um, once we're all, quote, unquote, ready for fall, um, that we do a reweigh and kind of reset the whole gimmick? Because you wouldn't want to win this competition simply because of the fact that you were hairier than we were before we started using these products. Yeah, I don't want any technicalities to get in the way of this victory. Actually, Hermie, I'm a little concerned. To be honest, I saw you guys two weeks ago at the golf tournament. I'm a little concerned that the winner of our challenge may actually be in positive territory. Hmm. Yeah, that's a real possibility. Senator? Well, it's a weight loss challenge. We didn't say whether it was negative or positive. The winner's the winner, the one that's lost – or gained, lost the most or gained the least. But, yeah, I mean, you guys have had I a pretty – I think that's a real possibility. You guys have had a pretty busy schedule. I mean, you've got weddings, you've got birthday cakes, somebody's been in the Bahamas drinking, what, Miami Vices? Miami Vices. I, I like my chances. I, I still – I think I'm the dark horse to come back uh, in the last stretch, in the home stretch, and actually pull this thing off. But we love having Manscaped as our, as our sponsor. It helps millions of men – a lot of the people who are listening to this podcast have reached out, used the promo code Sadler. They've ordered the product. I would recommend go for the Platinum uh, Package 4.0. You get the shavers. You get the ball toner. Platinum Package 4.0. Yeah. You could use the crown jewel of care for your family jewel. Is right. Is the, uh, and the Platinum Package is the razor gold like my microphone. Uh, yeah, and, and it's gentle. It's not going to clip you. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to... It's, it's easy to use. Uh, it even has a light. So if you're doing it in the dark, it has a light on the end of the, of the uh, shaver. Uh, you can see where you're going. So it's... Uh, and, well, y'all, are the, y'all are the experts, but as I look down, as I proof this ad, it, it brings into question something called a lawnmower. How, is that, how does that fall into the Manscaped uh, package? Well, if I can well, speak to that... Lawnmower. Oh, <laughs> see, both of us can speak to yeah, it. But would... Go ahead, Shep. I want to hear your version. <laughs> Oh, absolutely not. No, sir. I would never step in front of you on a this. A lawnmower 
4.0 body trimmer and weed whacker. So, Senator, we need to, if they're all part of this Platinum Package 4.0, we need to let the listeners know kind of what, what is a lawnmower in manscaped terms and a weed whacker. Well, think we, of a lawnmower in the same way. He's probably with the whacker. Think of the lawnmower in the way that you think of your lawnmower. I mean, would you let your grass grow really high out in the front yard? I mean, where everybody can see it. I mean, they'd say, oh, my God, how unsightly is that? They'd even maybe call the you know, city and say that you're violating some zoning ordinance. Think of it the same way that the lawnmower 4.0 body trimmer is the same way. Keeps the grass low, makes it very attractive. Nobody complains. That's what the, the lawnmower 4.0 body trimmer is all about. The weed whacker nose trimmer is actually really painless. And it keeps those long nose hairs that I always see coming out of Shep's nose. Keeps them under control. Yeah. Don't see one here on the video that we're looking at each other today. So it looks like he's using uh, that weed whacker nose and ear hair trimmer to good use. Quick question, Senator. You talked about the grass in the front yard keeping that low. Does that mean that you let your backyard just grow out of control? Unlike some of your friends, I'm not the hairiest MFer you've ever seen. So there is no there's no grass in the backyard. It's there's no grass. Yeah, if we're gonna try to get a if we're gonna try to get a manscape package for for uh, for Andy, do they have an industrial size that we could potentially? Uh, they they would have to go to the 5.0 for Andy. They, that that would definitely have to be. Now what if last question? Then we'll move on. Uh, this is all well and good, but what if? Mrs. Moss or Mrs. Stanley, what if they prefer to be stuck like in the 70s? What if they don't prefer the modern approach? Uh, Shep, you can take that one. <laughs> I'm speechless. <laughs> we lose a sponsor. My wife is no, younger than me. No, absolutely not. By a generation. So she does not have such a problem. She listens to, you know, 70s on 7 like on Sirius but she doesn't live that lifestyle. So I think we're pretty good. I would just, I would encourage all the female listeners to this podcast, and you know it's a ton of them. With, I mean, the good looks that us three have, you know it's just loaded with lady listeners. I would encourage all of them with the holidays right around the corner to go to manscaped.com, use that uh, 20% off code Sadler, enjoy your discount <laughs> and free shipping for the holidays. And again, you the can't stress story, enough, Sadler, promo code Sadler, S-A-D-L-E-R. The more... The moral of the story is, to our listeners, if you want to continue to hear us doing this dumbass commercial every week, <laughs> if you buy the product, they will stay on the podcast and we'll keep talking about it. Is that really, uh, it, isn't our sponsorship based on how many units, no pun intended, we sell on the podcast? Uh, and and service, how many units we can service as well with these great, great products that they have, whether it's the lawnmower 4.0 body trimmer, the weed whacker nose and ear hair trimmer. You've got the, uh, when you do the premium package, you get the deodorant, of course. may not smell like pumpkin spice, but it's cologne quality fragrance. I use it. It's great. Keeps you dry. leaves no marks. Uh, you got the crop preserver, which is uh, for your doodads. It's a little deodorant <laughs> for your doodads. For your canastas, it just keeps getting better. Oh God! Is that so? So you know, and and that's oh, not all. Uh, that's not all. You can get the uh, the crop preserver doodad deodorant, and you also get free gifts. You get boxers and a travel bag that you can put all your great yep. Manscaped products in. I mean, you got to go to manscaped.com and get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code SADLER, S-A-D-L-E-R. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use that promo code SADLER. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Men out there, listen to me. Clear out the leaves. It's your tree trunk's time to shine. Manscaped.com. So if you want to continue to hear this ad weekly, <laughs> go buy this product. And before we get to the show, I'll let everybody know that I'm going to go to church tonight and uh, spend a little time at the altar. Uh, and I also want to say that Pacematic is an entertainment company which develops gaming software that players love to play and can use their skills to win every single time. Plus, these games of skill provide vital revenue to keep family-owned businesses like bars, restaurants, convenience stores, and truck stops thriving. So what do we do for a follow-up now, Senator? Oh, no, I think we end the show right there. Um, so I think what we do is we can jump in, you know, to our leaning right moment. But I wanted to, and it's kind of the leaning right moment, which is sponsored by Charlie's Waterfront Cafe, Tom Graziano and the great people there. The, you've got the tasting cellar at the bottom, located in Farmville, Virginia. He's got the great bakery, great food, great fun. Uh, go out and say hi to Tom for me and uh, enjoy yourself one of the best meals you can ever have in Farmville, Virginia, in Virginia, period. Um, but, you know, what I've noticed here, Hermian, because you're an expert at, at gas prices and everything else, Biden, of course, said he had nothing to do with the rise in gas prices. They rised in, enormously. I mean, they're like six bucks in California. Oh, he blamed that on us, the retailers. Right. Then he told you guys to lower your prices. Then he, then when they started and coming. do it now. Yes. And, they, and then they started coming down, and he started taking all the credit for it. He was taking the petroleum reserve, which, of course, uh, the barrels of, of uh, I guess it was oil that uh, Trump had bought, had, had bought it cheaply, and then was selling it to China. Now what we're seeing is he goes to OPEC, and he says, please, uh, up your production. And what does OPEC do? OPEC and Russia work together, to, and they vote to slash oil output, ignoring Biden completely. Gas prices are back on the hike. And, and, and again, Biden says, it's your fault, Mr. Gas Producer, Gas Seller. You need to lower your prices. And obviously, it's not his fault again that they're going up. They're only to his credit when they go down. What's going on, Hermie? I mean, you're, you're on the front lines. You know exactly what's happening. Why are our gas prices going back up? The, uh, I can tell you as I sit here, we're taping on a Wednesday afternoon, October the 5th. Uh, I expect by the time we get pricing for today that fuel and gas, the cost of fuel and gas wholesale price, now this is not necessarily, I have no way of knowing how quickly these prices are going to be reflected at the pump because that's a kind of by market thing. Uh, but I would expect by the end of the day today, we'll see over a 40 cent a gallon increase in the cost of gas and fuel just in the last three days. Wow. And that is because you mentioned OPEC, which really uh, stands for something like the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries. There's like 13 countries involved uh, in this uh, production and distribution uh, of, of, of crude. And we're talking about countries like Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, all these places, Senator, that really love us, you know? Yeah. They really want to see us thrive and do well in the United States. That's a joke, by the way. <laughs> um, but we are, because this administration has chosen to pull the plug on domestically produced energy and... Uh, they want to drive everybody to electric vehicles. Well, in the meantime, that we've put all of our eggs in the basket of OPEC, and we are completely reliant on OPEC. We're having to beg them to produce energy and crude. And what they're saying is they're going to reduce to get pricing back up on, for their benefit. They're going to reduce production about 2 million barrels per day. 
And so the market reacted to that, and that's why we've seen about 40 cent a gallon increase in the cost of gas and fuel the last couple of days. It'll be more by the end of the week, and by the time we get to end of October and headed towards Thanksgiving, gas will probably be higher than we've seen it at any point since Joe Biden took office. That's just my prediction. Now, how's Senator, that, I have a question. Yeah, for but you. How's, Shep, how's that going to affect? A for you. Hold on now, Shep. How's that going to affect? You know, I think demand caused gas prices to come down. That is lack of demand, people traveling less. How's that going to affect the car industry? Especially when you're balancing not only perhaps higher gas prices, car prices are going up because you can't get some of the parts, can't get some of the chips. And now you've got, you know, this electric overload uh, with, uh, you know, trying to push electric cars. How do higher gas prices affect your industry there at Boyd Chevrolet or Boyd Dodge? And higher interest rate. And higher interest rates. Higher interest rates. Right. Right. You know, so. You know, the car business right now is a really, really uh, funny business right now to be in because the, in my opinion, the supply is finally catching up with the demand. But now is what we just talked about with higher fuel uh, prices. We've got inflation at a 40-year high. We've got interest rates rising. You know, people just cannot sustain this much longer. The car business it's going to probably get hit extremely hard uh, with these changes because, you know, cars are necessities, but new cars are wants, not needs. And, you know, when you start having to tighten down your wallet and your belt, the first thing that goes are your wants, not your needs. Well, and that's that's especially true. I mean, right now we're going into the midterm elections. are going to re uh, every seat, 435 seats are up for re-election or election in um in the United States Congress. And all we've done, all the Democrats have done, are pass trillion-dollar packages to uh, go to climate change, to phase out uh, fossil fuels, phase out fossil fuel-powered cars by gas. And, you know, I was, and then if you look at just what you guys said, the gas prices have ro- risen every day for the past 31 days. In Los Angeles County, the price for a gallon of regular gas is $6.47 nationwide. Right now it's $3.83. If you think about this, when Biden took office, it was $2.34. But not only that, you add to that price, food prices have skyrocketed, climbing 13.5% in August over the year before. That's the highest increase since March of 1979. Just like you said, Shep, uh, interest rates, especially when it applies to mortgages, have spiked. Now you're seeing mortgage, the, the housing market, mortgage rates are now at 7% and climbing. That's the first time we've seen mortgage rates that high in over a decade. When Biden took office, the mortgage interest rate was 2.6%. Crime's out of control. Our uh, hunger's out of control. Homelessness is soaring out of control. The border is, is being crashed by illegal immigration and people bringing fentanyl over that's killing our people. I mean, we've got this liberal CRT in government and, and schools and we and top it all off, we've got, uh, you know, Russia uh, getting their butts beat by Ukrainians, which is great. But we're funneling billions of dollars worth of weapons to them. And they're saying, hey, we may use a tactical ne- nuclear weapon. I don't see where anywhere where we're doing any good in the United States. And we're sticking it to the, the average Joe citizen, you and me and all of us, except for these rich people that got these electric cars right at the gas station, right at the kitchen table, right at the grocery store. And I don't see it ever lifting. And what do they do? They, they just say, oh, well, it's, it's highly nuanced. It's, you know, there's a lot to this. And meanwhile, 
Russia makes a deal with Saudi Arabia, and guess what? They cut, as Hermie just said, 2 million barrels a day of oil crude, causing these prices to go up. Where does it stop, Hermie? It, it gets really frustrating because when you have these conversations, people immediately get caught up in trying to decide who's to blame and why. And in most cases, they blame or shield blame based on what political party they believe in. But here are the facts. Whether or not you like Donald Trump, when he left office, the United States of America was completely energy independent. We were producing all of our own needs domestically here in the United States, okay? Prices were reasonable, gas was reasonable, people were making money, people were thriving, people were getting ahead. Joe Biden, before he even got elected, which is surprisingly enough why people still elected him, while he was running, he told everybody in the United States that I'm going to have an all-out assault on the fossil fuel industry. I'm going to do away with the fossil fuel industry. He told all of us this. So he goes to war with the fossil fuel industry and puts our dependency on these products back over to countries that do not like us to start with. And then he, we are somehow surprised that these people are dictating the market and causing these undue burdens on families. And now people that live in places like Emporia, Virginia, South Hill, Virginia, southwestern part of the state too, Senator, the middle to lower income families, instead of being able to leave and go up the street and fill their car up with gas, they're having to decide, am I going to fill my car up with gas or am I going to put a half a tank in my car and spend the rest of my money to try to go to the grocery store. The, and we, you know, the, this administration is responsible for this, whether or not the people that are liberals want to believe it or not. And Senator, let's not forget, 31 trillion, trillion with a T. I don't even know what comes after trillion, but now we're going to be 31 trillion in debt. And because of the, you know, unpredictable and, and, and to fault of nobody's uh, to blame the last hurricane in that came by, now I'm, you're gonna see building supplies skyrocket once again. You know, down in that region, you're gonna see food sales, uh, you know, price of groceries and all just skyrocket again. Where, I mean, you are an elected official on the state level. I realize you're not national, but what's going on? What are we doing? Why is it such a complete disconnect from the three of us sitting here in three different places in Southern Virginia, describing what is going on across America? Where is the disconnect between us three and Washington, D.C.? Well, I think it's because the people who are in power and control are so worried about hanging on to power and have created that narrative where they tell it to themselves so many times they start believing it that they're living in an alternate universe. I think that's ultimately what's going on here. You got them blaming, you know, when when Joe Biden uh, calls out for a woman who's deceased, who he knows is deceased, but of course because of his addled mind, uh, says, where are you out there? And, and then what's their spin? Oh, he had her on the top top of mind, top of mind. When, when they say the gas prices are rising again and OPEC's cutting a uh, cutting fuel uh, or oil output by 2 million barrels a day, 
um, the spokesperson for the White House says, oh, it's more nuanced than that. You know, when you look at these prices, just like Hermie and I were talking about in a previous podcast, Biden touts that uh, inflation only went up by a nudge, an inch, when it's 8% highest since Carter. You know, they live in an alternate universe and they're trying to convince people because they've had the media touting their narrative. And I think even the, even the media cannot carry that bucket of water anymore. And what you're seeing is you're seeing a difference in the polling. And when I've been, I was looking at some polling today, and it's clearly uh, heading towards the GOP, towards the midterm elections. Uh, voters prefer overwhelmingly at this point in time uh, the, the GOP, Republicans, over Democrats when it comes to crime, immigration, when it comes to handling the economy. People realize that, you know, Republicans... Uh, they may not agree with us with everything, but when it comes to running the country like a business, when it comes to making sure there's more freedoms and less inflation and lower gas prices and energy independence, like Hermie just said, they know Republicans do it best. And I think you're now going to see this happen in all of these elections that are coming up in November. And I think that will continue because that trend is, is that we've gone too far. The government that's up there right now doesn't care that eleven dollars to $14,000 is being taken out of a family of four's pocketbook for a year because of their bad policies. They don't get it. You know why? Because they're going to their country club that the Army Navy Country Club in Washington, D.C. every night and sipping $450 bottles of wine uh, through a three, you know, $300 uh, wine flute. That's what they live on. That's how they're living right now. And they're going to have a rude awakening, but they pass it on to us first. And then they say, well, this is your fault. Because it's more about control of the government and the small amount of people that, that work in that government rather than the people that give permission for this government to to actually rule over them and to guide this country and this nation. And it's getting worse and worse. And you even see the denial, uh, even in the weather. You know, Shep, you just mentioned Hurricane Ian, which was devastating to Florida. I think Governor DeSantis has been unbelievable in his response. And awesome. it's pissing off the Democrats because they wanted him to fail. Now they're blaming Hurricane Ian on climate change. Listen to CNN right here when they're trying to blame, I think it's Don Lemon, is it not here in this clip, trying to get someone at, at, who's a weather person to say, isn't, first of all, isn't this, isn't this hurricane caused by all you gas guzzlers, you Hermie Sadler gas sellers uh, who don't care about climate change? Here's Don Lemon, and listen to this great response. Can you tell us what this is and what effect climate change has on this phenomenon? We can come back and talk about climate change at a later time. I want to focus on the here and now. We think the rapid intensification is probably almost done. There could be a little bit more intensification as it's still over the warm waters of the uh, eastern Gulf of Mexico. But I don't think we're going to get any more rapid intensification. If you look here, you can actually see, pretty interesting for your viewers, you can actually see a second eye wall forming around the inner eye wall and that's basically the second eye wall has overtaken the original eye wall and that should arrest development uh, so listen i just i'm just trying to get that you said you want to talk about climate change but what what effect does climate change have on this phenomenon that that is happening now because it seems these storms are intensifying that's the question here. i don't think you can link climate change to any one event okay. On the whole, on the cumulative, uh, climate change uh, may be making storms worse, uh, but uh, to link it to any one event, um, I, I would caution against that. Okay. Well, they, uh, listen, I grew up there, and these storms are intensifying. Something is oh. causing them to int intensify. So this storm is just Don Lemon, the meteorologist. I grew there. It's also being grew felt uh, in the southern part of Florida. 
What about the areas that, that may not be taking a direct hit or experiencing the storm surge, See, like on the West Coast? How much right will there. the West... Now, what you basically have is... What you have there right there is because Don Lemon grew up in Florida. He knows. And this hurricane is caused by all you gas-guzzling, carbon dioxide-breathing animals, cow-eating people who fly around in private jets. Oh, wait, we do that. We liberals do that. I mean, can you can you believe that? And it goes even further, gentlemen. Here's the view. Here's Joe, Joy Behar, who we love so much. Uh, she's talking about how how actually what happened at the, at the hurricane, not only is climate change, but it was also created, uh, all this damage and all this mayhem was created by Ron DeSantis, and he is responsible for what happened to Floridians. This is the quote from Governor DeSantis yeah. about climate change. Quote, I am not in the pews of the church of the global warming leftists. This is what he thinks about climate change, and now his state is getting hit with one of the worst hurricanes well, that perhaps, they ever perhaps see. This is <laughs> so it's DeSantis and our and our fault, not the people who believe in climate change. But, ladies and gentlemen, everyday Americans standing up for Ron DeSantis and how he's how he's handling the crisis. The news was sitting there saying, "Oh, this is a tragedy," and and Ron DeSantis is not bringing fuel fuel gas to the areas uh, that need it most, and they're and they're and they're not responding like they should be, even though. Kamala Harris, the vice president, said when the federal government is going to dole out assistance down there in Florida to victims, it's going to be based on equity. That is, persons of color will receive benefits first, and it will be, and which I think is racist, and it will be doled out that way rather than to all, all Americans, all Floridians, regardless of the race, color, or creed. And here's what we had uh, here. Here's a guy from Florida who said when, when the press came up and said, oh, you're doing without gas, you're doing without food or ice, this was his response to the, to the reporter. That shit about DeSantis, but that gas is here in Arcadia. It, it, Arcadia. I don't know why the rest of y'all, but it's here in Arcadia, so y'all know who we vote for. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know why the rest of you motherfuckers, I'm voting for DeSantis, and I'm a Democrat. So y'all call it what the <laughs> fuck you want to call it. You got children now. Okay, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> calling it like it is and it, the 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 press doesn't like the narrative DeSantis is doing a great job look it's it's a devastating hurricane we're thinking about all the families that have been been harmed by this those that have lost lost their lives nature is it, i think hermie sadler said to me one time maybe even said it on this podcast nature is undefeated mother nature is always undefeated and I don't think these hurricanes have gotten any worse because of climate sure. change or anything else. And quite frankly, we have seen uh, times, especially like in Louisiana and New Orleans, with a Democrat-controlled government there where they botched the rescue efforts and botched the care of their citizens. Ron DeSantis has been on top of this. They're even blaming it. How did you, you know, the hurricane made a turn over Florida and went out to the Atlantic. How did you not prepare for that? Well, how's he going to know that stuff? But I tell you what, they've been bringing medical supplies, restoring power rescuing people, making sure there's gas in Arcadia, and doing the right thing. So hats off to Governor DeSantis on how he's handled uh, this hurricane. Hermie, what are your thoughts? I mean, uh, we're watching this, of well, course, safely uh, miles away, but but I think the reaction uh, from DeSantis makes him a real, not only good governor, good guy, and he, and he stands up to this press's BS, but I think he could be president someday. Here, Here is the recurring theme to all those bits we just listened to, and it's really, really sad. And that is the left 
is more concerned about pushing the narrative that they want people to believe than they are telling people the truth and giving them the best opportunity to prepare or survive or thrive moving forward, they're more interested in if, if the narrative is not there, like Don Lemon, let's inject the narrative into the story. And I say this all the time, you know, when I go to, you know, have start to have, you know, political conversations with people that are not always pleasant, especially people of color and middle to low income people that I talk to in my daily life and my business. And when it gets right down to it, when I say, well, why do you keep voting Democrat? Nine times out of 10, they cannot tell you why. It's because it's because I'm supposed to, or my family says I'm supposed to. And um, the Democrats have a history of taking advantage of people by creating these narratives and saying these same things over and over again, and in my and in my view, taking advantage of people that maybe don't in every every case you know understand the whole situation uh, the way they should. And I think it's sad. I, I think it's appalling. The good news is, Shep and Senator, more and more people, including the guy that was talking about DeSantis in that clip, more and more people are starting to pay attention and educate themselves on really just what is going on. And I just hope this November and next November that more people vote accordingly. Well, Herman, let's just call it like it is. And you sugarcoated it a little bit compared to what I'm getting ready to say. This is like pissing in my cup and tell me to drink beer. You know, it's to me, it's about the equivalent of that. And I think that the what's educating these people is their pocketbook and the emptiness of their pocketbook. I think the, you know, when you can't put food on your family's table, when you can't uh, buy gas to get to that job, when you can't properly clothe your family and your kids because you don't have the money to do so because of these policies, I think that's what's educating them politically faster than anything else is their wallet. That's just my take on it. And I just hope my advice is, regardless of what your beliefs are politically or otherwise, just take the time to educate yourself. Learn what's going on yourself. Don't rely on a politician or somebody on new, on the news or your friend, your cousin, your uncle. Educate yourself and quite simply look at your situation and say, am I better off now than I was two years ago? Do I feel better about the future than I did two years ago for my family and economically and otherwise? And make your own decisions and, and vote accordingly. That's what I encourage people to do. And Senator, one thing I'm going to agree with Joe Biden on, I'm going to agree with him on this. This is Trump's fault because this started the first debate when Trump, in my opinion, failed miserably at the first. How in the hell do you let Joe Biden out-debate anybody? And, you know, in my opinion, that's where Trump, I mean, hit this, the uh, icy slopes that night. And like Hermie said, Biden told us, he told the American people what he was going to do if he were elected. We were 
you know, in my opinion, dumb enough to elect him. We challenged him to prove what he said. And so far, he's done it. And he's right. It's all Trump's fault for that miserable, miserable debate performance he had on their very first debate. Well, there are a lot of factors that uh, had the outcome of the election uh, go Biden's way. I could go chapter and verse and give you a hundred different reasons of what influenced the outcomes, uh, whether it be from drop boxes to something else nefarious or even what you just said there. Uh, certainly, uh, the debates uh, weren't the best, but I think, you know, there a lot of people had their minds made up. And, and I don't know that a debate ever changes anybody's mind in politics, but they find it to be a ne necessary uh, event to occur during the political process of elections. But let me tell you one thing, and I think you're both are right. Uh, quite frankly, what we're seeing is elitism. Republican Party is the man of the people party. We, we're the for the worker, the everyday person. Uh, it wasn't always that way. It always seemed like we were defending big business. But if you look at the Democrats, the liberal elites, the educated you know, college and university elites, uh, they're the ones def defending big businesses and allowing big businesses to enter into government and take away your freedoms, like your First Amendment right, uh, freedom of speech. They're the ones that are pushing climate change, and big businesses are the ones reacting to them. And actually, for CRT, critical race theory, they're the ones, it's the elites, the liberal elites that want you to drive electric cars and stop using gas-powered cars, but then get into their Gulfstream jets and fly overhead and dump the most uh, pollutants into the atmosphere that, that harm the very things that they're trying to fix. It's the elites that push transgenderism into our schools and are allowing uh, teachers to try to tell second graders how to be objectified, how to refer to themselves sexually or even as to their gender, and telling them that big lie trying to it's the liberal elites that are trying to get between the child and the parent and dictate how that child is run because that's what the government wants it's the liberal elites that are the ones pushing a divisive narrative that says you are the oppressor and you are the oppressed putting labels on people and quite frankly if you need any more evidence of that look no further than the liberal elites and nancy pelosi when it comes to the latino community Right now, what you're seeing is the Latino community is swinging hard to the right by 30 to 35 yes. percent. Uh, our, our Latin community, our, our, those in the community that can vote, are voting Republican. They're switching their votes. It's not that given uh, that the Democrats figured we'll flood the zone with illegal immigrants. They'll get the right to vote and they'll vote Democrat. Most of them are conservative, and they're also running away from countries that the liberal elites in the universities and, and in government are trying to create here in the United States. And now the liberal elites are finally waking up. The universities, remember, they were trying to push this, this phraseology called instead of a Latino or Latina, they were changing now that, which has been the traditional way of identifying Latino being a, a male a person of Hispanic descent, Latina being female person of Hispanic descent. Then they changed it to Latin X instead of Latino and Latina because they said it was more inclusive. In fact, uh, they said the term Latin X was a solution from feminist and queer Spanish speakers to boost inclusivity within the male dominated Spanish language. And the Latino and Latina community absolutely rejected that. So, you know what the liberal elites in the professorial a realm of universities and colleges decided to do. Oh, okay. Well, we're getting hammered on that. We're going to change it now. It's Latin, L-A-T-I-N-E. That'll be more acceptable, and that'll be inclusive for all the gay uh, Spanish speakers and transgender Spanish speakers. Well, quite frankly, 
That just demonstrates how hypocritical they are. But how they really think about Hispanics and even the illegal aliens that they're allowing across the border was summarized by our horrible Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, who said this. We have a shortage of workers in our country. And you see even in Florida, some of the farmers and the growers saying, why are you shipping these uh, immigrants uh, up north? We need them to pick the crops. Can you believe that? <laughs> she admitted it. That's what they're good for. Cheap labor. Cheap labor. Pick the crops. Remember what we were talking about when we were, when we were uh, discussing why uh, Martha's Vineyard, they got rid of them with less than 48 hours after they were dropped on their doorstep because the only way they were going to let them in their backyard is if they had a, a weed whacker in their hands. And I'm not talking manscape, ladies and gentlemen. I am talking about either they're going to mow their lawn, but they can't live in their neighborhoods. And now Nancy Pelosi says what she really feels with the elites, the liberal elites feel about the Latin community that has emigrated here legally, that has taken a position, your job, you know, we need you to pick the crops. I mean, that's racism. And that's why our, our country is going to crap right now and because we're allowing liberal elites, racist liberal elites, who then turn and say, MAGA Republicans are ruining the Constitution, are bad people, but it's them, it's them, it's them. We want everybody to have an equal chance. They want power. And they don't care if they ruin the country's economy and the people uh, who live within it. Getting back to Nancy, Nancy uh, Pelosi, sometimes they screw up and say the quiet stuff out loud. Again, I hope people are paying attention. And my tip for this whole segment, my word of advice today is on all these issues, politically speaking, is educate yourself take on that responsibility of actually understanding and learning what's going on, what these agendas are, why they're in place, how they're impacting your family, and don't rely on your cousin, your uncle, your brother, your friend, people at church, people at work. Make your own decisions based on the reality of your situation. And if you do, you can be confident that you're going to make uh, the right decision when you come to the ballot box because voting this November and next November is the only way that we're going to be able to fix all these problems. And you know, Senator, you talk about the liberal elitism hypocrisy. Just look at the immigrants that are coming across the border in the Texas uh, region. You don't see these uh, sanctuary cities stepping up to accept these illegal immigrants. You don't see AOC out in her district in New York politicking for those buses to land on her doorstep and drop these illegal immigrants off. You don't see that. Oh, no. No, and that's, you know, and, and here we go. So hopefully, America, wake up. It's time to wake up. Uh, we, we can say enough, and quite frankly, we can voice our opinion at the ballot box. But then for those that get elected, if they're Republican, we take over the House and Senate, you still got a, a veto pen in the Democrat who sits in the White House. We can't give up. We got to keep pushing forward. We can't. It's going to be a, a tough couple of years. I think recession is on its way if it's not already here. And it may be more uh, impactful than we've seen in previous recessions. It always seems funny how we always go into recession during Clinton, during Obama. Uh, here we are with Biden. And and I want to get back to peace and prosperity and freedom and liberty for everybody. But I think you're going to see a real shock and a culture change 
in terms of how people think, and especially at the ballot box. So that's my Leaning Right moment, sponsored by Charlie's Waterfront Cafe in beautiful Farmville, Virginia. Uh, gentlemen, uh, we're going to talk about uh, turning left moment, but before we get to that, Hermie, I just want to talk about who our interview is. Uh, it is a Leaning Right interview with a delegate who I respect very greatly from the Virginia Beach area, Glenn Davis. He's going to go over with everybody here listening here today exactly how the budget amendments was snuck into the budget that tried to ban those skill games that is the subject matter of our lawsuit. For those that are listening for the first time, we're embroiled in a lawsuit against the Commonwealth of Virginia uh, that's trying to keep uh, through the hand of the casinos, small businesses in Virginia out of the gaming industry, which is which is emerging after the legislature took a different tact and started approving gambling and gaming in the Commonwealth of Virginia after banning it for so long. And we fought the law that they wrote, SB Senate Bill 971. We got injunction, which allowed certain games, skill games, not games of chance, not video games of chance to be turned back on. We won that injunction. We're going to trial November 2nd. We've been talking about it a lot. We don't need to rehash everything here today. What did the legislature do? In the 11th hour in a smoky back room with three people involved, they snuck budget language, changing the criminal code of Virginia, making it a crime to operate a skill game, and they made it permanent in a budget bill, which only has an impact for two years. And so what we have now coming up in the interview after our turning left moment is actually a delegate who's going to go over chapter and verse why this was unconstitutional why it was wrong why it went against everything that we think about in an american legislative process and why we need to change how we do things because it's not right and it ignores the will of the people and so we'll have delegate glenn davis coming on after the break but now we're going to be turning left yeah and i'll say before we get to the turning left bill that uh, i do not like politics and I do not like many politicians, but I do like Glenn Davis and the people in Virginia Beach are lucky to have somebody like Glenn Davis that is willing to, to speak out, step up, and speak out for what we, we're speaking at for, Bill, and that's nothing more than fair government for everybody. That's really what it's about, being fair to everybody. That's exactly right, and I he think he does it in a great way. And, and, you know, you need and more you know, politicians like him because he's honest, he's open, he's like you. He's going to fight for what he believes is right, do the right things, never lie to the people that he represents. And I was going to just say, Senator, I also like his fight for the education here in the state of Virginia. You know, he's chairman of the House of the Education Committee, and he has done some great things, including helping us get a brand new state-of-the-art high school open right here in Mecklenburg County. He came down to our ribbon-cutting. Uh, I did not have the pleasure of shaking his hand that day, but I, I did have the uh, honor of in, in appreciating him coming down for that. So, And just think, I, from now on, Shep, before we get to the turning left, now when some of our special guests and listeners and viewers see you at a public event, they're going to say, oh, there's the Manscaped guy from Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. Shep Moss. <laughs> Shep Moss. <laughs> Shep Moss and his doodads. Right. Cleanly shorn doodads. Uh, we're not we're not doing that again, Senator. We've, no, okay. we've got enough of that. In, um, <laughs> hey, hey, next week. Left. Wait, wait a minute, Hermie. Next week, I want everybody to come back to this, and I want to see how many euphemisms or nicknames you can give for you know your two buddies down there. All right, and we'll just have a we'll have a dick You're off. Sick. We can see how how You're long sick. we can. Uh, You're sick. I'm not sick. I think it's funny. The podcast is officially off the tracks, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Put us back uh, on the track. Turning left moment, as always. 
Can you can we mute his mic? Shit. Can you mute I his mic try. from South yeah. Hill? Okay. Um, <laughs> Turning Left Moment is sponsored, as always, by Laura Stanley and Vista Installation. She's been running a successful window and door installation company and, and God only knows how, babysitting one particular trial attorney and state senator from Franklin County for over 12 years, and God bless her. Yeah, God bless her, indeed. And she deserves a plaque. Uh, before we get to a little NASCAR talk, Bill, the Sadler Stanley Racing Team gets back on track this weekend. We got two cars on the track. Uh, Jonathan Brown, our normal driver, we got to get him into the top three in points somehow over the next two races to give him a shot at the championship in the season finale down at Motor Mile. We've also got, you know, one of the things that you and I have talked about. Chad, get your mug out of the picture there. Um, <laughs> one of the things you and I talked about early on was given opportunities. And you know how important the karting industry is to me. It's where me and my brother started. Uh, but we're also given, uh, hopefully the third time will be a charm if Mother Nature will cooperate. Uh, Jonathan Cash, well-known kart racer and late model stock car racer, uh, from the Mid-Atlantic region. He'll be driving our second car uh, at Hickory this Saturday night. We'll have two cars on track. And with the Jonathan Cash car, number 39, we've got a list of people that are going to be matching the purse that uh, that car earns at Hickory on Saturday night and matching those funds and donating them to the family of Chris Beasley, who is the promoter and owner at Capital City Speedway that passed away uh, back in back in August. And so... Uh, we want to thank Pacematic. We want to thank uh, Saddler Stanley Racing, PSR, everybody involved for you know that opportunity to put two cars on the track this weekend, and to give Jonathan Cash an opportunity so I can show people that that are in the karting industry if you do things the right way and can get the job done, you may have a shot to one day uh, step up and, and drive an open wheel modified for Saddler Stanley Racing. And speaking of my sponsor, Vista Installations, Laura Stanley, she's got a big weekend planned with some of her partners and sponsors down at Hickory, too, uh, Senator. Isn't that correct? That is exactly right. She's going to have about 70, 75 uh, people that work for her and also work for Lowe's. Some Lowe's executives are coming to Hickory to watch the Smart Series wow. race. There's going to be a big-time party there. Uh, it should be a lot of fun, and especially for uh, those uh, employees that uh, she's showing appreciation of, but also uh, Lowe's, which, of course, her company does business with. And we're trying to get them also interested in short track racing and, again, and, and certainly open wheel modified. So it's going to be a big event. And you, as their spokesperson, since they're your sponsor, you've got a lot of shaking hands to do out there on Saturday. So you better be ready. You're going to be I'm ready. Looking, I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to coming to Hickory. I haven't been to Hickory since the mid-1990s and one of my favorite racetracks. I finished second in Bush Grand National Series race there three damn times. My boys in the shop reminded me about that earlier uh, today, three bridesmaids uh, finishes at that track. But, look, Hick Hickory has a lot of history. It's a great short track. You think about Jack Ingram, Harry Gant, Sam Ard, all these drivers that grew up cutting their teeth in and around Hickory Motor Speedway. It's going to be a fun night, and we're, we're hoping that Jonathan Cash has a good run, and we raise a lot of money for Chris Beasley. And we need Jonathan Brown to have a couple really solid races because when we get to Motor Mile for the – Smart Series Championship, any driver that's in the top three in points has a shot to win the championship. So that's what we've got to get Jonathan to 
over these next couple of weeks. And that's pretty amazing that you you built a race team. We've built a race team, but you've been leading it, of course, because I do this podcast and you see the results for that. Um, that from the very beginning, from the ground up, we built this team with something in mind. We wanted to be competitive. We wanted to win and we wanted to have fun. I think we're accomplishing all of that. And we wanted to actually create another platform for our sponsor and for what we're doing for small businesses and the fight that we're taking on uh, to the Commonwealth of Virginia and also to really highlight the short tracks in the rural areas that, that depend so much on these short tracks and the small businesses that might have skill games in them uh, for those kind of revenues. And man, here we are. What are we in third place, fourth place? Are we in the what place are we in? I think we're fourth. We, we got some fourth. work to do the next two races to get to the top three. Okay. But, I mean, that's pretty darn good for the first time out. And I think, you know, you and I have been planning already. We may have some big announcements sometime in the future. We're working hard to make year two even better. Isn't that right, Herm? Yeah, we got a lot going on, some good news, some good things happening. And we'll announce those in the coming weeks. And not only have we got some smart series races coming up, but we've got, you know, the NASCAR Wheeling Tour race coming up at Martinsville, October the 27th on a Thursday night. We're going to do that in conjunction with a big event that you've got going on uh, there at that racetrack center, close to your home district that you represent uh, right. there, and so a lot of fans and 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 uh, fellow legislators and people that uh, that you work with uh, for the for the fine folks in Franklin County, we'll hope to have a big crowd come out to join us on Thursday night uh, at Martinsville Speedway. Uh, Want to talk a little bit about you know, of course, Chase Elliott won at Talladega, win number five on the season, but the big story out of NASCAR the last couple of weeks has been these drivers suffering these concussions and you know Kurt Busch is already out for the year Alex Bowman is just announced you know yesterday that uh, he'll miss his second consecutive race this weekend at the Roval in Charlotte with a concussion uh, the the talk is now that NASCAR really needs to look at the, the the next gen car and look at the possibility of redesigning the rear bumper area of these cars is much too rigid doesn't take enough of the impact, doesn't absorb enough of the energy, and it's it's becoming a theme. And and when you start getting drivers hurt, especially in the case of Alex Bowman, if you looked at the accident that hurt him at Texas, he barely bumped the back of the car against the wall, barely even knocked the paint off the back bumper of the car, and here he is uh, with some serious uh, concussion issues, and that's a red flag for NASCAR. Well, I mean, isn't there – but when you think about that, that's the head going backwards. I thought they're like locked in with a Hans device and that headrest, which you know whips around the whole. Well, side they're, of their they're face. hitting their head on the on the seat, which is real close to the, the helmet. It's not like a the Hans device prevents your head from moving forward at an impact. You know what Dale Earnhardt died from was a basal skull fracture, so the Hans devices and those things prevent the sudden move of the head forward. These uh, these these concussions are caused by just you know your head your head in some case your helmet rests against the headrest or maybe there's a half inch to an inch gap and there's so much these cars are so rigid and such a quick impact uh, it's shaking these guys around around the headrest in the cars and causing some problems and if you notice the difference those that watch closely can the last cars that we had when you bagged them into the wall I mean you would basically knock the back end of the car off. It would compress into and under the fuel cell, and it would absorb a lot of that energy. These cars are so rigid, the cars are not folding up like they used to, but it's putting all that energy into the cockpit against the driver. So I'm anxious to see how quickly, how accelerated NASCAR can look at some of these problems they're having and try to to come up with some 
uh, with some resolution to this because the drivers are now starting to speak out and the NASCAR drivers have a record now of, of drivers getting injured and so NASCAR is going to have to react maybe, um, maybe sooner than they had anticipated. Hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, they used to, when they, before the, this next gen uh, variety, I mean, it looked like tinfoil was on the back. It would just crumple up. And of course it, sometimes with that damage, it kind of ruins your day uh, when you have that. And so how do they fix this? I mean, how do you get in between? Because like you mentioned, you got the fuel cell back there. Uh, that's a very, you know, vulnerable spot. We've seen a lot of fires going on usually coming in the front of the engine uh, we saw that fire in the in the truck series where the guy hopped out while the car was still moving then it hit the wall i mean i golly i almost thought he was gonna get it just from the uh from trying to get out of the car i mean how do they fix the back end we we talked about how ryan newman said he had problems as an engineer with how they built the car how do you fix the back end so that, so we're not having these well, kind of mistakes nascar is a little bit of a box now in a box now bill because They've had some wrecks. They've had some injuries. The drivers are putting pressure on them, and now they're kind of saying, well, we, we, we figured we might have had a problem or we know we got a problem. Then the question becomes, how did NASCAR ever allow this car to be put into competition with this type of engineering into the car? So how to fix it, I don't know. There's a lot of smart people at NASCAR. I, I, I trust that uh, they will work on it and, and, and get it fixed. They have to get it fixed quickly. Because you get drivers getting hurt every week. Uh, that's, uh, that's, I mean, that's safety is always, will be, and always will be first. So they have to figure out how to accomplish uh, what they need to do on the back end of these cars. And I hope for the sake of the sport, because there's been so many positives with this car from a competition standpoint. Right. But a couple black eyes because of driver injuries wipes out all that goodwill. So NASCAR has to has to get it fixed and have to get it fixed now. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they navigate the process of trying to fix the car, uh, take the driver's input, while also doing things the way NASCAR does, which is never admit they're wrong. <laughs> there was so a problem. They have a lot of things place. to navigate at one time. Now, now when you say now though, are you thinking they're going to fix this before the end of the season, or is this got to be back to the drawing board? No way they can the fix it before the end of the season. Okay. I think you'll see some testing, some more crash testing and otherwise, but I, we've only got a handful of races left. I really can't see any meaningful change that they can come up with and ask all the team owners to update the cars um, in time for the last five races. If they can, more power to them. Uh, there's, it's, it's never too early to, to do something in the, in the, in the uh, spirit of safety. But I just can't see that how that can happen between now and Homestead. Well, I mean, could you now? Okay, Phoenix. Maybe, maybe can't do anything to the back of the car, but could you do anything to the headrest? I mean, that seems like an easy fix, like increase the padding, lessen the inches. I personally don't know. I don't know. Lessen the inches between the helmet and the and the pad. I mean, well, you're not going to want to. You can't drive a race car if you've got no mobility with your head. I mean, the racetracks are banked. You know, places like Talladega or Bristol. I mean, there's a lot of banking. I don't know how you could drive with your head basically in a in a uh, in a brace that you, that you could not move your head. I don't know how you see out of the side view mirror, look up to look out of the rear view mirror. Um, I I don't see how that would be a possibility. But where we stand right now, NASCAR has finally had to admit they've got a problem and they've got to fix it. But they've got a lot of components and a lot of uh, 
going back to Manscaped, a lot of balls to juggle at one time to try to get it to get it fixed. He finally said it, Chef. He finally yeah. said it. He said balls. Um, but well, yeah, look, I got a question. I I know Hermie mentioned you've got some big announcements maybe coming up soon, but can you make an announcement on this weekend? Can you announce if the new improved uh, SLG RV will be at Hickory? And will the honey wagon be making an appearance at Hickory? That's what I think the fans Shep, really want to know about. Shep is referring, if you listen to our earlier podcast, I bought a Class C motor coach. It was hotter than Blue Blazes. It had one air conditioning unit, not two. And it was kind of small, and I had three kids in there, and I felt like I was in a small submarine with a bunch of sweaty little people. So I immediately decided for myself that I was going to buy a Class A. So I traded in for a Class A motor coach, 30 and a half foot. Kind of looked like uh, – uh, like Hermes, but uh, 2023 Thor Ace uh, took it out for a week, uh, and we took it to a race at Carteret. It worked wonderfully. We loved it. We will be bringing it to Hickory, um, and it's got a little bit of a bigger tank for gray and black water, um, but we will be more careful. See, it's going to be cooler, so we're not going to be drinking as much water, uh, so we're hopeful that the honey wagon will not have to make an appearance. So yes and no. And if it does, we're in trouble. So we're having a big party, and there's going to be 70 people out there. I'm locking the door to the camper. So nobody, everybody's going to have to whiz either at the uh, porta potty or outside. Well, look, uh, I want to encourage everybody to stand by and listen to our interview coming up with uh, Delegate Glenn Davis. Again, I think people will enjoy the interview. You'll learn a lot more about Delegate Davis and what kind of what motivates him and what is motivating him as he looks towards uh, the next steps of his political uh, future. And I think if you're listening to this podcast and you're a fan of small business, you'll like what you hear from Glenn Davis. We need more people like him fighting in the General Assembly, that's for sure. So Glenn Davis coming up. Anything else you want to get here before we uh, head to the interview, Senator or Shep? Yeah, I just want to stay just on your turning left moment. What do you make of the uh, playoffs now? I mean, you've got Alex Bowman, who is is in it. You've you've had Kurt uh, Busch, who is in it. And again, both of them out with concussive syndrome, uh, post-concussive syndromes. Uh, The the win by uh, finally a playoff driver occurs at Talladega. I thought the racing was great, and it was classic to watch. You know, it's two by two. It wasn't, you know, three wide and all that. But I thought it was classic, and it didn't end on a wreck. Where are we now? Who's got the best chance? If you had good look into your crystal ball, Hermie Sadler, who has the best chance of winning? Eastern Stanley time again. Eastern Stanley time. I've been trying to tell him for 10 minutes i got to go to an event that he helped me plan, but he's going to throw another question at me. Anyway, uh, I have no idea. I'm going to go with Chase Elliott to give you a short answer. He's got a big fan base, and I encourage all Chase Elliott fans to go to manscaped.com. Use the code Sadler to get 20% off. To get your balls ready for fall, and 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 Hermie, now, what, now what, can we go? What what's the uh, what's the angle in the turns? You know, what degree angle is in the turns in Talladega? Right, Shep, you got it from here. I appreciate all the listeners <laughs> tuning in. I'm this kidding. is leaning right and turning left with Sadler and the senator, and I, I really do now more than ever appreciate Pacematic. And you know, hey, give Leon Benjamin a high for me. He's uh, he's appearing at Faux Show. He's running for Congress. Go out there and support Leon Benjamin, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley. And I'm leaning right. And I'm Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left. And Shep, what are you doing? I am using Manscaped and keeping my balls clean for the fall. <laughs> Lord have mercy. What a way to end the show. Can't get any better than that. Thank everybody for listening. Tune in 
Uh, every week, give us a five-star rating on Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you find podcasts. We really appreciate your support, and we'll see you again next week. God bless you. Hi, folks. This is Hermie Sadler. Thanks for listening to our all-new podcast, Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I hope you are enjoying the show as much as Senator Stanley and I enjoy bringing it to you. Whether you're a family traveling together or a truck driver hauling freight up and down the highway, I hope you will take the time to visit one of our Sadler Travel Plaza locations in Virginia and North Carolina. Sadler Travel Plaza locations are licensed dealer locations for pilot travel centers. And we also carry Shell Motiva Petroleum products for our four-wheel friends. We pride ourselves on providing one-stop shopping for service, food, and entertainment. Our food options include Five Guys Burgers and Fries, Quiznos, Dairy Queen, Hermie Sadler's Faux Show Bar and Grill, Victory Lane Restaurant, Hunt Brothers Pizza, Dunkin' Donuts, and much, much more. Our locations include Sadler Travel Plaza in South Hill, located off I-85 at Exit 12. The Sadler Travel Plaza of Emporia, which is conveniently located on Exit 11B off I-95. And Sadler Travel Plaza on Highway 58 in Suffolk. We also have our North Carolina location, Sadler Travel Plaza in Dunn, North Carolina. That's Exit 75 off I-95. We appreciate all of our customers. And Bill and I appreciate you listening to Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pesomatic. Hey, this is Bill Stanley, Hermie Sadler's sidekick on this podcast. When I'm not in Richmond at the Capitol or doing this podcast, my real job for the past 27 years is as a trial attorney with the Stanley Law Group. Here at the Stanley Law Group, we represent our clients in every courthouse in the Commonwealth. No problem is too small for us to solve. No case is too big for us to win. Whether it's criminal charges, traffic offenses, civil disputes, litigation matters of any sort, we handle it all. We make sure that we treat every client like family because they are to us. Your problem is our problem. Your success is our success because we hate to lose more than we love to win. And believe me, we win a lot. Don't believe me? Go ask Hermie. I'm his favorite lawyer and he hates lawyers. So give us a call at 540-721-6028 and let us help you. Or visit our website at www.vastanleylawgroup.com. That's www.vastanleylawgroup.com. At the Stanley Law Group, we'll make sure we're the lawyers that you swear by and not at. And we're back. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm leaning right. I'm former NASCAR driver and Fox Sports analyst Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left, leaning right and turning left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic, and we've got couple guests with us again on this podcast. Mr. Moss, you want to give us your introduction and then no, I'll wait. Should we, should we put the introduction back on there? Do we still have that introduction for him? Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, please listen in. You have an incoming call from Shep Moss, an inmate at the Mecklenburg County Correctional Facility. To accept this call, please press one. Press two. Don't accept what the button call. did you press? Two. 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 Oh, Jeff Moss, two. the controversial town councilman of South Hill, the man who's fighting the old guard, Shep Moss, even if he has to do it in orange shower shoes and jammies. Whatever it takes. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Welcome back, Shep. 
And uh, we have a great guest. You know, Hermie likes to bring a lot of a lot of his top tier guests, but I'm bringing a top tier guest this time. I mean, this is better than Michael Waltrip. This is better than than Kenny Wallace. Wait a minute. This is right up there with George Allen. Even better than Dale Earnhardt Jr. Okay, that's that's, that's pretty good. All right, better than Tyler Hansbrough, Mickey James, yes, Jeff Jarrett, yes. Brian. J- I mean, no, no, no. I'm not going to say Double J. He's our boss. Uh, this is Glenn Ray Davis Jr., a delegate here in the General Assembly of Virginia. Uh, we are, of course, recording high atop the skyscraper, the Stanley Law Group skyscraper, in the Stanley Law Group conference room studio, overlooking the beautiful capital of Richmond capital of the commonwealth sorry richmond virginia and we've got one of those movers and shakers that actually makes a difference he takes the uh the title seriously he takes the job seriously and he gets things done not just for his area in virginia beach which we're going to talk about but for all of virginia and he's been a real warrior over there in the house of delegates been a real fighter for for those that are less advantaged that are disadvantaged uh, for school modernization for so many issues i mean we'll, we'll talk about the things we've we've worked on together but i want to welcome glenn ray davis jr Delegate from Virginia Beach to the program. Welcome, welcome, Glenn. All right, I appreciate it. thanks for having yes, me. And sir, you know, just so you know, my lap times at Charlotte were not that much slower than the other guys. Only by about a minute or so. so. Oh, is that right? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, hey, they you were know? taping you with the hourglass. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Hey, you know, I didn't we, hit the wall though. So, you know, you're open, thinking what I'm thinking. We have an open modified team. Maybe you should get in and drive the drive the car. What yeah. do you think, Hermie? One of our races. I think you should get right in and go. I wow, have, that's the first one you've agreed yeah. to. I will have to show you my video from VIR before you offer me that. So okay. Well, VIR is tough. You turn left and right our car if things are going well we're just turning left oh there you go. okay if you turn right in our car the next thing you'll be hearing is are you all right <laughs> back it into the fence but glenn thank you so much for uh coming on the podcast as you you know probably know we talk a little bit of racing we talk mm-hmm. a little bit of politics law everything in between professional wrestling i have a lot of friends in that industry we talk about things like that but you know bill as always uh, in our private conversations mentioned how good it has been to have someone like you uh, standing up for what's right, fighting for what's right, uh, fighting for the people and using the government to work for the people in the Commonwealth of Virginia. So um, for, for that, as a person raising a family and operating small businesses in the Commonwealth of Virginia, thank you for that. Well, I appreciate it. Look, I, you know, I was at Surrey Entrepreneur growing up. I started my company at the age of 26 after I lost my job six weeks before Christmas in 1999. So I, I know what it's like to start a company. I know how many times entrepreneurs tell their business partners, we're not going to make payroll next, you know, next period. Somehow everything works in. You rob Peter to pay Paul, you get through uh, and you make it work. And we need to make sure that Virginia stays that state that uh, continues to help those entrepreneurs uh, develop those next big companies uh, and maintains that level playing field, which unfortunately I think we're starting to go down a little bit of the wrong direction on. We, uh, I know I feel this way. Bill and I had this conversation. Shep in South Hill, Mecklenburg County, is a small business owner. The small businesses, despite what people say and the narratives they follow, small businesses are the backbone of the economies of the Commonwealth of Virginia, especially in areas that, like Bill represents and that I live in, and certainly uh, down your part of the country as well. And so uh, I think it's important. And that's one of the reasons why we started this podcast and also one of the reasons why we started our, our, our race team is to, to, to keep our message out front, keep a platform going, give us something to talk about and remind people that, I mean, this thing really kicked off with Bill and I last year at Motor Mile Speedway. Bill actually sponsored the race through his law practice, and it was the Stanley Law Group Protects Small Business 100 at yep. Motor Mile Speedway. And so we've, since that time, 
uh, and since we sued the governor, um, we've been using this as a as and, a crusade. Hold on, and one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've been using this to really just make sure people we keep the message how important small businesses are, and we need to make sure we keep in mind those people and the people that operate those businesses and their families and employees and all that. Sometimes they get lost in the lost in the debate or lost in the shuffle or whatever. So this this podcast has really has given us a a platform to 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 keep that out front and keep it on the tip of everybody's mind. And um, you know, you started off in small business just as you said. Talk a little bit especially to our audience that's very interested in politics and and should be in Virginia politics. I mean, before you got into politics, where did you make your mark? What what did you start doing? So, you know, well actually it's kind of interesting. So, right out of high school, my first job in politics was Frank Wagner's 1991 campaign. So, I'd always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but back then I also wanted to be in politics, and I got introduced to Frank by a substitute teacher. Oh, wow. So that's, uh, I worked on his campaign back in 91. As you know, he won, and that's when we started taking back Virginia Beach. That's right. I was his aide back in the 93 session, went back to George Mason, and had the opportunity to be Bob McDonald's aide back in the 95 session when his aide went to go open the Attorney General's office in Virginia Beach. So I had a you know a little bit of opportunity to be involved in politics, before I really got my business uh, feet underneath me. Uh, and But getting involved in, uh, in business, I always wanted to be the entrepreneur. I wanted to be responsible for my future. I learned at an early age um, that you know sometimes you can do a great job, but if someone you're working for makes a mistake, uh, you're at the whim. And I always wanted to be responsible for if I should make my, you know, my own failures and be responsible for them and be able to build a team so we all can succeed, right? And that's why people succeed is because of the team. So right. I've always been after that, and that's what it's allowed me to do. Well, you know, what business did you dive into in that, in that, with that entrepreneurial oh, oh my spirit God. that you had? So telecommunications. So like I mentioned, I really did lose my job six weeks before Christmas. I knew enough about telecom to be dangerous. Um, kind of self-taught and so I it was I didn't tell my parents I lost my job till New Year's it was kind of a good news bad news you know good news or bad news I lost my job good news I started a company don't have to move back in yet thankfully yet never came uh, seven years later we were one of the 100 fastest growing IT companies in the US at Corning magazine Wow but it was all about starting that company you know in that one bedroom apartment where during the day you're out knocking doors trying to get sales because every entrepreneur is a salesperson and in the evening doing what you have to do to prepare proposals and all the back end stuff. And so I ended up in telecom just honestly it's the only thing I knew enough of uh, that I could even think about doing it. And I had to be able to pay the bills I had my last two week paycheck and that's all I had. And are you still doing that today or did you? I just sold the equity in that company December of last year. So it was kind of a bittersweet to have uh, that company since I was 26. But uh, but it was definitely nice to be able to put together a nice exit on the backside. Glenn Davis, are you retired? No, well, so you're too, way too young to be retired. <laughs> I, I'm like you. I don't think I ever could be retired, right? You know, <laughs> yeah, very true, very true. Well, well, now you 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 outlined a little bit about uh, your intro into politics, working for politicians who were elected, and some really good ones there. Even Frank Wagner. Um, Frank was a character in the Senate for so many years. Uh, he taught me a lot. I'm sure he taught you a lot. He did. Uh, he taught me a lot what not to do too, um, but he was really, really one of a kind, and really a guy that was uh, very focused on making sure that he was accomplishing things, and and could work across the aisle, but at the same time, 
uh, really would stand on principle and and really helped us a lot. But you were elected to the what, Rose Hill Rose Hall Rose Hall City Council back in two thousand and uh, two thousand and eight. Was that your first elected position? Uh, it was. It was first time I was elected. I actually lost uh, a city council race two years prior. I buy less than one percent, and then came back and beat a twenty-eight year incumbent that year. Okay, so you know Shep Moss is a town councilman. He's going. Uh, he's fighting the good fight, especially against the old guard. What kind of perspective did that give you being on city council? I mean, Virginia Beach is the largest city, so you're now on city council for the largest city in the Commonwealth of Virginia. What did that teach you? I mean, what things were you going through and seeing? How did that make you better and more prepared for being here at the state? Uh, house. Well, first, you know, constituent affairs. Obviously, the closer you are to the people you represent, the more they are going to reach out to you. And obviously, everything we do at city council impacts someone in our city, right? And and usually someone's health and someone maybe not. And so the importance of, of not only constituent affairs, but how to create that organization to be able to, uh, uh, to organize and be able to follow up in a timely manner with your constituents and the importance of that. Um, I also, interestingly enough, learned how much the state kept passing the buck down to you know local government right i'm no. sure you no never, <laughs> never. you know you, you have these situations where the state would take credit for something and then pass the buck to local government and i understood how important it was for there to be more local government officials in richmond to be able to convey that uh, piece of the equation uh, so we learned a lot obviously the budget in the private sector you know we have a budget that typically you know, it's a balance sheet and a profit loss statement. And in government, it's fund-based accounting, right? Every project has a fund. Some of those funds are meant to kind of maybe hide some money here and there until a need pops up. And right. so it definitely helped, uh, you know, educate me on the on the uh, accounting side of the equation for government as well. Did you guys ever have a burn pile or, or a place where you burn documents? We did not. You know, no, Shep, he can't help you. <laughs> so you Shep, shred it. <laughs> yeah, well, back in those days, I don't know if we had shredders back then. We, you know, maybe it's just rip up real quick, you know. Pulped it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Shep is involved, if for those that don't know uh, and who haven't been listening, but everybody's been listening to what's going on with Shep. He's involved in a little bit of controversy because actually uh, he, he found something that was being done wrong and improper uh, by the, in his opinion, by the uh, local government and he dared to stand up against the old guard and now the old guards even trying to have him arrested and that's why in his introduction you heard uh, a collect call from the mecklenburg county jail from shep moss and so it's a running thing with us and and we kind of as we always talk about politics we talk about state we talk about national but shep brings a, a local perspective what's the one thing that you were most proud of when you served i think you were reelected in 2012 as well and then then you replaced sal ali quinto i did mm -hmm. after that but but what did you what was the main takeaway that you got or the, the thing you did that you're most proud of when you're on the city council there in virginia beach the budget stuff um there was a year when funding uh was cut dramatically uh at the state level for our road maintenance as well as the composite index uh, hit us pretty hard one year for education and to work with a team to backfill that funding so we could maintain the quality of services that our citizens came to expect. Uh, and that was very important. And then as the money at the state level came back, we never missed a beat. And it's that type of long-term planning, right, Bill? It's, you know, you don't just plan for, t you know, for the next week, the next month, until the next election cycle. You have that long-term planning that makes sure that you continue on to accomplish the vision uh, that the, the citizens expect and everyone agrees upon. And so that's probably one of the biggest things, was making sure we had that continuity when the state had felt those uh, fiscal challenges. Sal Iaquinto, now a judge. Yes. Really good guy, one of my favorite people. Uh, he decides he wants to become, uh, sit on, the, I think, the general district court bench at that time. Yes. 
Is he on the circuit court bench now? I think he's still on GD. Okay. And so at the general district court level, that's always the best level because, you know, they can appeal you. You can't. You never go to the Supreme Court and have your stuff overturned. You can just appeal it. Uh, but a great guy. Mm-hmm. What made you decide, hey, you know, I think I've done all I can do for Virginia Beach at the city council level. I want to run for that awesome and high-paying job at the, at the House of Delegates. <laughs> you know, my wife still teases me. You know, not that city council pays me. I mean, I thought you were an entrepreneur and smart. Uh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I mean, so my wife. Um, you know, I, I went from a job making, you know, 28, not that that's that much either, you know, especially before taxes, and a four-year term to a job that makes, what, 17 in a two-year 17, term? 17, yeah. Um, but it was, you know, grass isn't always greener, as I may have found out. But it really was believing that we needed more small business people and people with local government experience up in Richmond uh, to make sure that uh, we protected those small business entrepreneurs, you know, getting started up, uh, as well as making sure that we limited the impact on local governments because that really is where rubber meets the road. And there's no elsewhere for, you know, that book to be passed. Yeah. Uh, so that's what kind of got me into it. And uh, who'd you run against? I mean, back then I ran against Brett McKenzie. So, Interestingly, Brett and I went to the same high school. He was the city. He was a school board member that represented the same district I represented on city council. Really, and um, big win. I was. It was. We did well. I think we uh, won that one maybe by uh, eight points, something like that. It was probably um, up until this last election, my largest win. Okay, because they um, that was after redistricting, and redistricting was in 2011, so you would have been in a fresh district. Um, you get right at it. I mean, you know, when Glenn came, I'd been there for about three or four years. Um, I mean, it, it was it was as if you had been there for a long time, quite frankly, which I think is a good sign because, you know, a lot of times I was told to shut up and keep my head down. And they told me three things. Um, make relationships, learn the rules and keep your mouth shut, at least in the beginning. And then Bill Bowling said I would I, I learned the first two really well, but I couldn't keep my mouth shut. You were that kind of guy, too. I mean, oh, you immediately oh yeah. wanted to make an impact. And I know, you know my good friend uh, Jeff McWaters, my seatmate and uh, troublemaker in the Senate with me. Uh, co-conspirator was so high on you coming in i mean he was just he just said this guy's going to make a huge difference and he wasn't lying you, you immediately came and, and you were making changes and you're going against the grain even yeah. i remember when they used to say freshmen in the house of delegates couldn't get a bill passed that wasn't your problem no i appreciate that no i came in uh I, under the the same mindset you did we were there to make a difference so it was make relationships uh, but keep your mouth shut and uh, ask the speaker back then. Obviously, I failed at that last one. <laughs> See? But that's how you, you know, yeah. making waves is what makes change, right? Yeah. And yeah. and so that's the mindset I had when I came on. Well, and, you know, I, I, I remember also, too, uh, you guys were still in a supermajority. And when we talk about a 100-member House, sure. Republicans had 65? Uh, 66. 66, yeah. which meant they could do whatever they wanted to, not only to the Democrats, uh, and in, in 2014, we were in a majority in the in the Senate. Mm-hmm. The Republicans were by one vote. But the House of Delegates kind of ruled us as well. They could do whatever they wanted to us as well. And, and I remember one of your leaders saying, if a bill comes over 100 to, or 40 to nothing from the Senate, we're going to have to kill it. That means unanimous. <laughs> if it comes over 2119 where the Republicans support 2119 Dem, then it probably has a shot to pass. You guys really ruled the roost. I mean, it was like a meat grinder over there. Uh, we hated crossover. I mean, you guys were in control of everything. 
Oh, you know, but I can, you know, it's interesting. I was a freshman back then, right? Mm -hmm. And so all of us, you know, we, we got to know each other, but it was our first introduction to many of the senators. So it was just as intimidating for us to go back on the other side. However... Yeah, because we were usually pissed because you killed our exactly. bills. Exactly. <laughs> we're like, know, hey, we wear the same colored jersey. What right. are you doing? Yeah. Well, of course, you know, as a freshman, we have nothing to do with that, right? It's right. all made at the higher, much higher tables than we sat at. Uh, but we still had our bills killed, which made it really interesting. Yeah, so. yeah. So what, what do you remember of one of your first big pieces of legislation that you really champion that you that when you look back on it it was a great win for yourself hard fought but a good win so there are two when i won when i didn't back then uh i when i first came on i wanted to get rid of the property tax on home-based businesses on equipment that they already had for personal use so you know when you start that small business it used to be that the laptop, the computer that you were using, you know, the kids would study on. If you did an invoice on it, now it's a business expense, right? It's your cell phone that you owned, um, that you had for personal use. The minute you make a phone call for business, now that's a business, you know, use, and now there's property taxes on it. And I saw an audit at the city level, and when that literally happened, and a gentleman was trying to explain that I already owned these devices, and they said, well, no, now you use them for business. And so I had a bill I put in that exempted any furniture and equipment um, that was majority used for personal use uh, from being taxed as a home-based business. And so that's the, uh, that's the first bill. And it's one that I think is important because, as we all know, that small business grows. And as they grow, they hire more employees, and that's what grows the economy. Right. And so I'm, I'm really proud of that one. What was the one that didn't go? So as you remember, Medicaid expansion, I drafted that bill in conjunction with uh, – uh, Tom Russ back then. <laughs> we uh, we had to have a special session at the end of 2015. We did. Uh, for the bill that Tom and I drafted. Um, and I drafted it after um, what um, uh, Governor uh, George Allen did back. You remember the welfare reform legislation? Yes. Uh, it was drafted exactly after that to help people get off of welfare. So I did the same thing. Not very popular back then, obviously. No. Um, but I still think <laughs> Not it with the was. Republicans. No, no. Uh, more conservative than what we have today and that what yes. we voted for in 2018. Uh, so unfortunately, we got drugged to the table in 18. We have what we have. Uh, but I always believed, and I know you believe the same, and Hermie. Um, as business people, you can't put your head in the sand, right? It's You put your head in the sand, the only thing that happens is the fire gets bigger and a heck of a lot closer to you when you finally yank it out. And that's my thought when it comes to challenges that we face as a government. You know, we may not always have the right answer, but unless we're looking for that solution, if we just put our head in the sand, it's just going to get bigger and it's just going to bite us more in the rear end, you know, when we finally decide to take a look at it. Reach, brother. Yeah, the, the best um, compliment that I can give you, uh, Glenn, is that, you know, I running businesses running a family business in south side virginia you know i've always paid attention to politics but never really got involved or wanted to get involved because i really felt like you know we would slide to the left a little bit slide to the right a little bit but over time it would work itself out but now the the train has just gotten way off the the track and it's real serious about what's going on and so the skill game issue was what really brought me to Richmond to try to fight for my business. And it, it wasn't even really about skill game. It was about the government saying, I'm taking this from you and giving it to the casino or somebody else because the government says so. That was my first problem. But my second problem that I didn't really like was the fact that when I came to Richmond as a constituent, as a citizen, as a business owner, I kind of got shut down. You know, I didn't, there were people in positions like yours that really didn't want to hear from people like me. 
And I give you credit, first and foremost, for being somebody who, even though you may or may not have the right answer or the right on the right side of the argument or whatever, you've always been approachable, and you'll sit down and have a conversation with people about things and learn why they're why people are maybe passionate about an item or the other. And sometimes you know you can change a heart and a mind yeah. if people know that you know the personal story. But I went over to fight for my business, and I got this whole sense of entitlement from the people over there like i didn't really i shouldn't be talking to them and i should just go along with you know what they were dealing and um then i tried to get you know my state senator to set me up a meeting with with janet howell who is that that was louise that is louise lucas i'm sorry (laughs) yeah yeah because you said someone he meet with you it was senator howell wouldn't wouldn't take a meeting with us on the school game issue at all and so to me it boiled down okay Here's my experience going to Richmond to fight for my business. The government has told me they're taking a part of my business and just giving it to somebody else. They didn't earn it. They just take it. And when I went over to try to give them information that I thought was um, beneficial for them to have and, and part of the argument, they didn't want any parts of that, didn't want to hear it, didn't want to, you know, and it's like we were just supposed to, just supposed to go along with it and 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 take it and so that's what kind of drove me uh, and that's the frustrating part and I think that's what one of the things that you're really you know really good at on the conversations you and I have had you know we've never talked about if you agree with this you don't agree with this but you know you've always been interested why why this why that how does this affect this how does this affect that and I mean to to a to a to a to a business owner a small business owner. The government is supposed to work for you, and the simple fact that, you know, that I had to sue the Democratic governor of the state I live in to protect what I felt like was protecting my rights uh, as a business owner is um, is a scary proposition. So I appreciate on a number of levels, but I appreciate the fact that you being in the position that you are, and I think maybe coming from your background and your business background, that really helps you look at things maybe with a different set of eyeballs than some of the other people over there are. And I say all that to, you know, to, to, to tie this, you know, back in a bow that, you know, it's really important for people in y'all's positions, Bill and you, Glenn, to, you know, to be able to, to, to listen to, you know, the people. And, and I've said this to Bill, if I say it once, I've said it a thousand times. There's not enough thought process put into or enough connect, connecting the dots between the policy that comes out of Richmond and how it really is applied and how it affects the people at the at the grassroots level at the small business level and um it's it's a unbelievable time that we're in and you know i'm I'm just thankful that people like you are in there and i've got a friend like bill that is willing to stand up you know and try to you know try to bring that you know remind people every day you know the importance of small businesses and more importantly the Constitution and people's rights, which seem to get trampled on a lot in Richmond these days. Oh, yeah. Well, and Hermie, you know, I'm sorry for the experience you had. And, you know, I, I know Bill believes the same way I do and tells his people. And I tell anyone that comes to see me, please get involved. 
if they hear of legislation or they have ideas, please reach out to us. You know, none of us are experts on anything up there. That's some right. may be, you know, obviously we have a doctor up there. We have some teachers. We have an accountant. We have a couple of business people. But none of us are experts on everything, right? And so I tell people, you know, we think we may have ideas, but we don't. We're not the doctor 24-7 or the small business owner 24-7 or pick the industry. So unless people get involved and reach out to us, if they leave us up to our own devices, they may not like the outcome. I mean, our job is to take all that information, be as educated as possible on all sides of an issue, and cast a vote that's best to help those that we represent and help them move their families and their businesses forward. But we can't do it unless we have that education from them that really do it on the ground 24-7 in that area of expertise. My, uh, the, the day that really kind of set the fire onto me before we even filed a lawsuit, I was, and I tried to do it the right way. I tried to come over and set up meetings and go through the proper channels. And, but I was watching the live feed on the Senate floor one day, and uh, Senator Howell basically said that skill games had cost the lottery $140 million in sales. That because of skill games, we were taking money from the kids and schools and this and that. And not only am I a partner of the lottery in my convenience store and truck stop business have been since the lottery since its inception, but I also had a 20 plus year personal service relationship with the lottery. They sponsored every race car I drove for the last 15 years of my career. So I was involved on the sales and marketing side mm -hmm. of the lottery as well. So I was getting all the emails and all the stuff about lottery sales and how, what makes them go up and down and all that. Anyway, so I saw Senator Howell make this comment on the Senate floor Basically, we got to get. She calls them gray machines. We got to get rid of gray machines because they're killing the Virginia lottery. So, I went over the next morning. I called Louise Lucas, and uh, Louise and I were co-grand marshals of the Ukrops Christmas Parade in Richmond in 1994. Known her ever since. Um, I go see Louise, and I said, Louise, Senator Lucas, what Janet Howe was saying on the Senate floor yesterday. That information is not accurate. And here are my P&Ls from my convenience stores and my truck stops that we have skill games and the lottery. And also Scott Klepper with Pilot Flying J was with me. They've got 20 locations in Virginia. Same story. So I went to see Louise and I put it up there and I said, this is not matching up with what Janet is saying. Will you, and then I said, I need you to go take this information to Senator Howe. And, and uh, Senator Lucas was like, I can't do that. I said, okay, will you set me up a meeting with Senator Howe? She said, no, I can't do that. On, this, on the skill game issue, you're going to be on your own. I said, so that's my first problem. I'm, <laughs> I'm a constituent of yours. I employ 300-plus people and da 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 but you can't help me broker a meeting. You know, So that was strike one. So then Scott Klepper and I walked down the hall to Senator Howe's office. We started talking to her aide about setting up a meeting, and she finally says, well, what subject matter? Do you want to speak to Senator Howell about? And I said, skill games. And the little aide went, hmm, you know, like that. She says, well, Senator Howell is not taking meetings on the skill game issue. And also, you need to understand or you need to know that Senator Howell kind of views people in the skill game industry as somewhat sleazy. Her aide said mm -hmm. this to me and to Scott Klepper with Pilot Flying Jake. So you want to talk about being frustrated with a government. I couldn't get my own senator to 
oh wow she acknowledged that was in, flies in the face of the information she had been given she wouldn't help broker a meeting for me senator Howell that was spewing all this stuff on the senate floor that was very detrimental to my business and and in 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 general wouldn't take a meeting on the issue and so you know i was kind of bagged into a corner uh with where we stood and said if somebody doesn't stand up and fight you know my family's business my dad my family was built on the free market you know we build one location at a time you know and if you do things right you build another one and you know and here they are you know going to send rosies to emporia where i live but they're not going to play on the same level playing field that I'm on. I'm not anti-Rosies, and I'm not really anti-Casino, but they shouldn't come to Emporia and have a monopoly on games and then also get my bar business and my restaurant business. And So to me, it was worth fighting for. And so now this whole process, you know, since last June, Bill and I stood on the steps of the Capitol. We, you know, we talk about it now, but, like, everybody laughed at us. Oh, Stanley, there's no way y'all are going to win that case. You'll never get a day in court never get this never get that um and here we are now we've been winning on sb 971 now they throw throw the budget at us and there's language in the budget which we'll talk about in a moment but it's just like they just you know if it hadn't been for the stand that we took the skill game issue would have far been settled by now it'd have been over and done with and not just us but more importantly than that small business owners and operators across the entire commonwealth of virginia including the district that you represent yep would have lost that piece of revenue out of their business and it would have been terminal to a lot of these businesses the smaller mom and pop operators and things and with no no discussion no reason just go along with it and so i'll forever be uh, grateful to you know to bill for believing in me and believing in the cause and believing what we were doing and why we were doing it. And it brings me back to my, you know, uh, uh, I'll get to a question here for you. Is like, how, how can people in Virginia that are legislators, that are representing everybody, quite frankly, how can they just choose out-of-state casino interest-type monies and turn their back on the rights of small businesses like some of these people have been doing in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And by the way, through the course of our lawsuit, we have created an unbelievable group Mm -hmm. of small business owners and operators that come to court every time we go to court, hundreds of them. And they're finally seeing the light, and they're realizing how important over the next couple of elections, how important it is to find out who's doing what and vote. But... you know, I know if, if you represent Virginia, you're supposed to be for all business and, yeah. and everybody's opportunities. How can some of these people that have, we have forced them to come out front and admit that they are choosing one over the other? How, as a as a elected official, how how are some of these people doing this? You know, Hermie, that's a great question, and I don't know if I've got the answer. Because I always believe the right place to be is, honestly, is what Bill always preaches and probably a couple times a year on the floor of the Senate. It's it's a level playing field, right? You know, I've told people it doesn't matter what you think about skill games. They're coming. They're, they're in Virginia, like you said, they're in Rosie's. They're here. They're not going away. The question is, is, should there be a level playing field with Rosie's, with the casinos, with their small businesses, with their truck stops, where everyone has that same chance to provide that service, that entertainment value, and let the consumer pick where they want to, you know, partake in it. 
And that's what we're getting in the middle of as a government. We're, we're literally, you know, getting rid of the competition for the casinos coming in. And what concerns me the most, I think we should never hamper any business, right? And, you know, I obviously with, you know, the skill game issue, you've got a great business. I think I've taken showers at all your truck shops back in 15 <laughs> or 16. And, you know, I was going around the state for lieutenant governor. And, and you may very well be fine. But like you said, there's a lot of small businesses, ones that I helped with their PPP loans back during the pandemic that barely made it. Ones that attest that if without these skill games back then, they would not have made it. Right. The same ones that still are not out of the woods yet, but that little bit of revenue coming from these skill games is helping them stay in business, stay with their neighborhood restaurants or convenience stores. Mm -hmm. And those are the ones that are gonna go out of business if we yank this out from underneath of them. And so that's what concerns me the most is that not only are we not, you know, you know, putting ourselves on the side of making sure there's level playing field and fair competition. But because of the position that the General Assembly's taken, we're actually pulling the rug out of these small businesses that many of them won't be here tomorrow if these things go under. A lot of depends on the uh, you know, how you look at things. Mm -hmm. You know, Bill and I back and forth all the time. When a couple months ago, before the budget was getting ready to come out, which we'll y'all can talk more about the language in the budget, and what it means, and all that. But before we knew for sure that there was going to be language in the budget, we were trying to find out more information or get answers as to if that language was going to be there, and if so, what it might be, because we were trying to decide. We wanted to go to court. We wanted to get it go to court and get it resolved, but. We needed to know if there if there was going to be language in, in you know in the budget affecting skill games because if so we may need it to potentially um, amend our complaint sure. to handle that when we went back to court. Well, we through Bill and through other people we try to go ask Barry Knight, not what is it or right. but is there going to be skill game language in the budget? And his comment and I think he made a public comment to a reporter, we're going to just make them wait. Right. We'll make people wait. Well, to him. It may have been make Hermie and Bill Stanley wait. But to me, it made me think, what about the mom and pop operators and these convenience stores and the little restaurants and bars and things that are watching the news, calling Bill and I, coming to court all the time? They're, you're making them wait to decide, can they keep their business open? Can they hire this person? Can they give a raise? Can they invest in the infrastructure of their business? So that's the the frustrating thing with me that's kind of you know giving me the the urge to maybe get involved in you know in, in in politics as much as i don't like it is that some of these people and in in, in this case barry knight is it's just so close-minded to think that it should be all about him at that particular moment when all of these you know hundreds of thousands of people when you put every all the people together and the employees that simply not only deserve an answer, but they have constitutional rights. Well, wait, I mean, how many how many people that work at convenience stores that depend on these skill games live in the district that he represents compared to how many people that own casinos from out of state live in the district that he represents? And why would you pick those out-of-state interests over your own people right. who you are also putting regulations on and mandating a higher wage to pay and have been really, as a government taxing on these small businesses during this pandemic i mean how can you, i just don't and, know how you get and, there and the one thing to keep in mind as you know people are listening you know hermy you and the others with skill games never advocated for kind of just a laissez-faire we're going to do whatever we please right? right you've always been advocating for 
proper, fair regulations That's that right. were level across everyone. Mm-hmm. To make, you know, the, the enforcement of taxation on the machines, that everyone paid the same amount and the fair share, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it, all you were looking for kind of was that e- level playing field, the equality with other entities, and and that's what kind of surprises me a little bit, right? Yeah. It's you know it's one thing to say you know the the small guys can't you know they, they're looking for a special handout or not to be able to be under the same regulations, but that's not true. All right. you were asking for was to be able to have the same opportunities with the same enforcement and the same costs. We've tried, and Bill and I and our team have had to take each narrative one by one and disprove it. Mm-hmm. So I've already mentioned about what Janet Howell said about lottery. We proved, in fact, we took a deposition right here in this office with Kevin Hall with Virginia Lottery, and he finally admitted that, number one, the year of the tax and regulation scheme under ABC, the skill games, the lottery also had their biggest year in sales that they ever had, not only in online, but also in the stores, stores. scratch tickets, all that. Okay, that's number one. Total falsehood. Yeah, the, the, the whole turned out to be false. What they're claiming on the floors of the House and Senate. Yeah, yeah. this and was ruining lottery. BS. It was actually, if you looked at the records, it was actually improving lottery. Right. Where they had the skill games, right. the receipts were up for the scratchers. Well, so it's, it's not surprised. I mean, this. So I, I majored in economics in school. I've always loved economics. You know, you went to major. MIT too, didn't you? You brain. Well, that was a that was a three year, one week a year program. So not okay. the degree program, but something Still. different. But um, you know, but you know, when you look at it, you know, saying that. That the skill games, you know, cut the lottery funding would be the same as saying, you know, why does the casino have blackjack and roulette, right? Because roulette takes away from blackjack, and we know that's not true, right? right, right. They're actually complement pretty good. It brings sure. more people in. Right. I've been to your truck stops. I've, you know, people are driving the trucks. They're sitting there. They're not going to play the lottery for five hours or four hours. They may not even think about gambling during the time they're at your truck stop, but they may look at that entertainment value of that skill game and they get on that, and then. As they're looking out the door, they just realize, I've been gambling to win money over here, I did okay. Let me go buy a lottery ticket. You know, it puts that part into their mind. So I would argue in many cases, and and obviously the evidence proves out, that having those machines in your locations actually increases people's thought about the lottery and the propensity to play the lottery. And that's what the the evidence has played out. So we got Kevin Hall to, to admit that lottery had its best year in sales ever, the one year that our games were taxed and regulated under ABC. He also Thank admitted. You. He also You're admitted welcome. under questioning from Senator Stanley <laughs> that the information that Janet Howe was reading from on the Senate floor came from the casino lobbies, so yes. they provided that information for him. Yeah. And uh, actually, the actually a company that handles the kiosk when you go and like you get a scratcher ticket from an automatic machine was the one pushing the false narrative, and they're ones that make gambling uh, games of chance machines. So the fix was kind of in, even internally working with the uh, so, lottery. So then the next narrative was, um, they you know they want to say, these skill games just, they came into the state in the middle of the night. Nobody knew they were coming. Through the back door. Yeah, through the back door. Well, um, uh, Officer Kirby from Department of ABC, chief deputy uh, that was in charge of enforcement and regulation, uh, on the stand at our injunction hearing back in December of last year, testified that they were brought these games to the department of abc and they independently looked at them played them got independent analysis of them that they were games of skill not games of chance and thereby were legal in the commonwealth of virginia this they were the games were brought to them and they were quote unquote approved them Mm -hmm. before they went into the you know to the stores so we've just had 
you know, and then they go to about the, you know, where they're not, there's no way they can be taxed. That's why they call them gray machines because they're in the gray area and they roll out in. In fact, I think one of the manufacturers went around to every county and city and said, you know, we've got this ruling from ABC. Can we put these in your county? If a county said no, they didn't do it. They didn't put them in. So they only went where they were wanted or where the counties worked with them to make it happen. So this invasion type argument that they made was not true either. I mean, it was absolutely false. It's one thing after the next. And then, you know, they go to the, well, since they're gains of skill, they cannot be regulated. Well, we, it was a simple but effective regulation, tax and regulation system through ABC, which Department of ABC testified at our hearing that they had virtually no, no issues with oversight, with collecting tax, None of that, but it just didn't fit. Well, and here's why, too, because they were in ABC establishments, and if you screwed it up, you lost your ABC license, and beer was actually more important to a lot of these convenience stores, and they had to be in well-lit places, you know, so you had that kind of internal regulatory process already in place, and the ABC just, as a matter of course, made it very simple. The most shocking thing, Glenn, is that a government body actually creates a regulatory, simple regulatory process that works, and then we just... And, and then we make $150 million and we kiss it away. Right, right. Mm. Well, look, you know, I, I, I don't sit at the tables with the casinos, but it's kind of hard not to think that this is not just to, you know, clear the field for the casinos. Because I'll look at a, another bill. Uh, bill, you may remember the bill. Uh, so I wrote the Texas Hold'em legislation a few years ago. Yes. Uh, the, Repu- the Democrats in the House uh, killed my legislation because, well, their floor, we, I got into a little... So when spat they were in the majority. For yes, they were in the majority. Their floor lead, I got into spat, but it's the same verbiage that chap got out and we passed, right? And you look at the legislation this year, and it actually rewrites the rules of Texas Hold'em. Now, Texas Hold'em rules were not written by the Commonwealth of Virginia. They weren't written by the federal government. It is a game. We probably have all seen, you know, the World Series of uh, Hold'em, you know, out in Vegas. And, yeah. and, and it's interesting. So for those that play, but you sit down at the table and you play until there's one person left. And the way you make sure that eventually there's only one person left is the blinds where the bet goes up over time. And eventually you only have one person. There's no predetermined in time. These games aren't five minutes. They're, they're there until someone, and that's the way they're played around the world. The legislation that was passed actually says that um, our, our, um, our charities that are able to conduct Texas Hold'em can only do so is that there's a predetermined end time. Not a time to end or before, a predetermined end time. Now, explain to me how you force a game to be over by a certain time when the rules are what they are, or how do you, how do you make it so it takes longer for a game to, uh, to end um, you know, be, to meet some, you know, state regulation. It's asinine. It's stupid. It goes against Texas Hold'em rules that are practiced around the world, but it stops charities from being able to have those games in the bingo halls that was passed only a couple years prior. Yeah. And it seems, you know, and, and I've said this on the show before, but I'm totally convinced because they basically said if they could shut down the bingo hall for the old ladies of the poor, they would do it because they want to monopolize everything. They see everything, even the smallest bingo hall, as a threat, and that's big casinos. And then guess what? Once they eliminate the threat, then they'll come back to this legislature, which they now have you know, in their pocket, and they'll say, oh, by the way, you know what? Let's open it up. Let's open up skill games or games of chance for our convenience stores. And by the way, we'll provide them all. That's what will happen. I mean, eliminate the competition, eliminate the risk, then control the game, control it all. And that's what you're going to see. That's step one. And then we in the legislature look like rubes. Yep. I mean, total boobs. And 
and get played like that because wow thank you for the giant donation to my campaign you really must support me you really must like me oh you want me to vote how well you support me so i'm going to support you that's the that's the hamster wheel we're on and it's unfortunate because i'm against i vote against every form of gambling Mm -hmm. until now ir36 because i have obviously a a lawsuit and a client who has an interest in the outcome of of anything so i just am careful about it but i i've said it here before I wasn't for casinos, it, you right. know, because they kept saying, Glenn, they kept saying, and, and we, I want to talk about how you have really helped Danville, Virginia, and what you were willing to do, go outside your district to help revitalize uh, Southside Virginia. But they go, hey, we'll put it in Bristol. Hey, we'll put it in Martinsville or Danville. Hey, we'll put it in Portsmouth. Because those are poor areas. It's like somehow this is the white pill, the panacea, that's going to solve the economic problems that our governments have created of these once mighty areas. Why don't you see one in Northern Virginia? Glenn, why? Yeah, you're 100% right. Because they're dirty. They're scuzzy. Listen to Janet Howell's words about a skill game. It's the same. She doesn't want a casino in her backyard. She's going to put it in those areas that she looks down upon. When we talked about casinos, I've been to casinos where I go to an area, Shelly and I, she's a slot person, I'm a table person, so, and, or a shopping person, I'm a table person. I love going to casinos too. And so, um, but I I was against casinos coming here the way they're coming here. When people asked my opinion, only a couple did, you know, I was freshman back in the day. I said, you know, what I really want is I want the, um, the the high net worth individual that's going to the Greenbrier, right? That may be going up to Atlantic City. So I loved what the Greenbrier did when they said, okay, Westford, you can have casinos, but you have to pay for that room night, right? You can't comp it, you gotta pay for that room night. And now it's just not that person on the street who can't make ends meet, spending their last $500 trying to turn it into $5,000. As we mm-hmm. all know, that's a losing proposition. So how do I balance not taking advantage of those that are less fortunate, but not lose the opportunity that may exist that's leaving our state? And my thought was, is let's have the, the opportunity for like the Greenbrier, bring it to the homestead. And if you can afford the $400 a night room, then yes, you can go down there and you can play. And I thought that was a good middle ground, not letting these things pop up all over the state, and now my concern is that we have them. Let's make sure we have the level playing field, and we're not having these out-of-state casinos put our local businesses out of business. And, and a big and problem, they are, and they're they trying are. to, and they don't care, yeah. and they're so fearful. I mean, they're so scared of the little guy. What is what is one quickie mart in Franklin County that has two games going to do to the big bad casinos? It just raked in what thirty one hundred thirty-seven million was it in a week in Bristol? So, the other part is too is. I call it an unintended consequence. They were so narrow-minded or, or, or had the blinders on to get rid of skill games on last July 1 before we got an injunction that at the same time when all the games got unplugged, ABC Enforcement Oversight went away. Yep. So now the legal people like me were, were dead. We were dark, not running. But the illegal people showed up all over yeah, the right. state with no oversight and no regulation and guess what the casino people try to do? Oh, skill games are everywhere, you know, and it's not us. And so it, another narrative that they try to push that, you know, the, the saddlers in the skill games, they're, you know, they're in vape shops and they're in, you know, hole in the wall buildings. They're in the back of tractor trailers, mobile units going across the state and they yep. play until the law shows up. Then Criminal they, element. You know, it's, but they did that. To, to try to get you know the games you know banned but I want to ask you and you you can Bill may can ask it a different way wait, wait, wait. I mean just before you go to that question because I like I like your the way you're going on do not forget that the rule of unintended consequences is they were in such a hurry to ban skill games 
those people that led the charge, the Barry Knights, the Janet Howes, the heads of appropriation and finance, the House and Senate respectively, that what they couldn't do because they were cutting with a sledgehammer and not a scalpel is that they opened the back of the barn and let in the criminal element. They let in a proliferation of illegal games. Now these illegal games, you want to talk about choke points for casinos? But now they're trying to say the legitimate games that are turned back on by our injunction are a part of these illegal games. Or they're calling them all skill games, like you just said. But they have created an illegal marketplace because they're so short-sighted and didn't think this through. They were just so wanting to make the casinos happy. And what they did was, I think, worse and more detrimental to the casino interest. Uh, and, and and I don't know about you, but you can drive to any kind of convenience store and see games that were not licensed or registered oh, yeah. by yep. ABC, and they're running right now. And there's no enforcement because there's just no way to enforce it. We even had a business to open up in South Hill, which our local police closed. But instead of the stickers, they had copies of the yellow stickers on the machines. So talking about illegal gaming... So what is your... Well, there is a list, though. I mean, we have the list of every game that was registered by the ABC. It's well, about these weren't on games. that list. But no, but yeah, they're, now they're counterfeiting the yellow sticker. The yellow sticker yeah. is not the determining factor. Sure. Glenn, what is your uh, your opinion on two things? The, the idea or the concept of legislating policy through the budget, and especially in our case where there's ongoing litigation. And when you read the language on skill games in the budget, what is your... What is your dissertation of it? So I've always had a problem legislating through the budget. Uh, when I first came on, I'll never forget my my first year. So I, I never knew the toughest day of the year. Um, you know, we all take tough votes. For me, the toughest day of the year was all those budget amendments. And Bill knows what I'm talking about. It's that one day you're on the floor and there's all these budget amendments. And they're, in many cases, bills that had failed uh, that get brought back up on the floor and yeah, I came in in the majority, right? So sometimes right. those bills failed, got brought back up, and I got stuck. You know, it may be something that I voted for, but I voted against it as a budget amendment because I don't believe in legislating through the budget. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's almost like I had whiplash sometimes. I, I got the phone call, <laughs> you supported this before, but I, I did when it went through the legislative channel, Process, not, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, right. not, not the budget channel. Mm -hmm. I don't believe in two-year laws, which is essentially what the budget is. Yeah. Um, so I, I've always had a problem. Now, both sides do it. It's common practice, but there are three ways that you have a change to the budget. You legislate through it. The first way is when you have the budget come together and a, uh, a senator or a House delegate member will put in a budget and it's a one-off that everyone gets to talk about on the floor and we take an up or down vote on that particular item, whether or not to put it in the budget. We all get our say, all, you know, all 100 of us or in Bill's case, 40 of them get to take the vote. And even though I don't like legislating through the budget, we all get a voice. The second the second way is the governor sends down a budget amendment. And once again, it's a one-off. We all get to have our voice and it gets voted up and down. The third way, and I think the more dangerous way, is when um, you have a House budget and a Senate budget. It goes to a conference committee um, and a few House and, uh, delegates and, and, and senators get together and they're there to iron out the differences between the two budgets. Sometimes our budget includes some things theirs doesn't. Sometimes theirs includes stuff our doesn't. And it's supposed to kind of iron all that out and bring us back one document. And that is an up or down vote only. There's no one-off conversations. There's no individual votes on any of those items once they're ironed out. But when it comes back to us and there's things inside of it that was never in either budget, that was not a piece of legislation prior, 
And in that manner, it's done so that we don't get to have the conversations on the floor. The, the will of the individual legislators does not, uh, is not allowed to be expressed. That is the part I'm concerned about. And that's kind of how this language ended up inside the budget was it was done during conference. It was not in the House or Senate as it came together. Um, and when it popped up into the final out of conference committee, there was not a one-off conversation or an up or down vote. The vote was, if you didn't like that language and you voted against it, you voted against 10% of teachers' raises over two years, right? right. Yeah. And everything else in there. And, and, you know, when I came in, <clears throat> I think it was Frank Wagner and Walter Stosh and everybody else said, you do not legislate through the budget. If you lost and it got a fair hearing in committee and your bill lost, it's dead, don't try it. And if you do try it, not only will we kill that, but if you had something in there for your district, we might take that out too. And they were very stark about that. I mean, I remember William Wampler saying that. You know, he used to teach me, first year he was my mentor. And very important, he taught me all about the budget machinations and don't legislate through the budget. We do not legislate. And occasionally, rarely, if there was a need to, like you said, a one-off, just a kind of thing to fix something real quick, but not to create, I mean, I've never seen criminal code amended. They amended the criminal code here. And what bothered me the most is usually, you know, we're comparing two processes, right, right. Glenn? So I propose a bill, let's say exactly like the budget amendment, that language is. It would be referred to a committee. Public notice would be given. The public and, and those interested parties would be allowed to testify in front of that committee. The committee would debate it. The committee would vote it up or down. That would be at least 15 people where I'm at. I guess your committees are kind of bigger. Uh, if it passes committee, it now then goes to the floor for another debate, three readings, amendments, more consideration, and a vote. So now 40 people have looked over it totally, uh, uh, 15 of them repetitively. Yep. It goes over to your side. It's presented to another committee, a bigger committee. You vote on it. If it gets out of that, it goes to your floor. Now 100 people plus whatever that committee amount repetitiveness was, get to look at it, consider it, debate it, vote it. The public sees it. It's transparent. Yes. In the budget drafting, and especially, it happens all the time, in terms of when one side, we draft a budget in the Senate, House drafts their budget, never agrees, we reject each other's budget, moving in a conference. The most powerful person, I always say after the speaker, uh, in the General Assembly is the appropriations chair, yes. to a lesser degree the Senate finance chair, because the budget emanates from the House. Yes. So there's a primacy that they believe is there. They then elect what, we do five, I think, mm -hmm. from each side. I think we get, we, we take one more, I think. Okay. Right. And so they get together. So a small committee meets. Sometimes you get updates, sometimes you don't. Right. Oh, good. things are going bad. I mean, oh, we're kind of in agreement on some big things, but we really fall apart on these other things. And blah, blah, blah. And, and just hang on, guys. And. You know, William Womper used to say, boys, it's going to be a long evening. Bring your laundry down to the river and beat it against the rocks to clean it because we're going to be here a while. You know, that kind of stuff. And then they come out and they go, surprise, here's your budget. Right, right. But here, so you're talking about a, a maximum of 15 people. And really, it's not. It's, right. it's the chairman and their little cronies that they like that do all the crafting and the budget writers in our legislative system. The legislative services, great people that work yes, very hard. Yes. Uh, we, we admire them greatly. We don't blame them for this. But that's when the hobgoblins get in there. The lobbyists get into these years of only a few people, and the public never sees it. Right. And then just as you said, whatever comes out of the oven, you don't get to say, wait a minute, like we pick out budget amendments, we pick them out, we vote them up or right. down. You're stuck with yep. what's in the cake. What's been baked in the cake is what you get, and that's what kills me the most here. That's what's the most dastardly part, yeah. is that, and quite frankly, these were not Virginians that wrote this budget language. 
these were casino lawyers maybe that gave it a shot and I still and I in my perfect opinion my my, my humble opinion maybe perfect we'll see it is crappier than the ones we had in Senate Bill 971 I mean when you guys see something like that, I know there were rumblings on your side of the aisle. There were on ours. But just as you said, man, I, I want to vote against this because of one issue here, one issue there, that they sneak in for their own constituency, their own special interest. But if I vote that down, all of a sudden, I, people are going to say, I hate policemen because I vote against their race. Yep. Or fun, more funding for school security. Yep. Because you voted for all of it or you vote for none of it. Right. And, and it really confuses the public. I mean... You know, I give Hermie credit. That language comes out, and, and I think, Hermie, I think you sent emails to all of us, and a lot of the people you reached out to probably did. I knew some people in my district, and and, uh, and it was, you know, please vote against this. And I'm like, I can't. I, it, You know, because the public doesn't realize the process that this came out in, right? It's not the one-off right. scenario. And so I had spent a lot of time trying to explain to people that, look, I don't like it. I don't believe it should have been done. I believe it should have gone through a different process. But at the end of the day, I can't vote against the largest, um, you know, budget in the, in the, for education in the, in the history of Virginia. And the chairman, and, and, and the chairman, and the people on the committee they knew, knew that, the put, right. that position they put y'all in as legislators. Because well, and, and wait, not only that, you, and not only that. <clears throat> so the vote was, you know, usually you have a pretty overwhelming four vote. You have some. I would have voted against it. Um, you usually have, and and for different reasons. I mean, there's a lot of good in there. There's a lot of bad. Yeah. I vote against a lot of budgets. Um, because I don't think we should spend more than we have. I don't, you know, there's many reasons. But in this instance, they can tout. What, what did the budget pass in the House? Do you remember? It was something like oh God, was 88 a, to 12 yeah, or something? Yeah, yeah, I, We lost just barely double digits. Yeah, and I think we had six or seven that voted against here. So you're talking 32 to, you know, 32 to eight, maybe in that. In the, people say overwhelming, supermajority. So they're trying to say supermajority was for this new language in the budget with regard to skill games. That's not what it says. That's, right. that's what they try to carry into a courtroom or into the public sphere while never letting that debate be had, right. never letting those voices of those those convenience store owners that really need this to be heard, and never letting the public weigh in and say, hey, wait a minute, if we're going right. to balance it, keep it balanced. And you know, you mentioned that that process doesn't allow for the legislators to have their voice put in that budget process sometimes. Well, more importantly... It doesn't let Virginians right. have a voice in that process because they're forcing you, they're forcing your hand to vote on up or down. Right. What did what did you think of the what, – what is your interpretation of the language in the budget? How was so, it changed? How was it different from 871? So Do you I, understand it? And if so, so, so I, I still think it's ambiguous. No, I, I defer to attorneys. I, you know, stayed at Holiday Inn Express last week, but that's about <laughs> as far as I got. Um, but I still think it's ambiguous. Um, I think there's problems with it. I was a little bit surprised. Um, I, I mean, I can only imagine what those attorneys make. And I mean, hell, my makes for 50 an hour, and, and he doesn't work for iPower Casino. So I don't know what they – so for them to draft that language, uh, I, they were probably under the gun. Um, but uh, I don't think it adds the clarity that one would expect. Uh, but I leave that up to the courts and to attorneys like Bill. Well, and it's a it's a two year criminal code. Yeah. Who does that? Who has a two well, that, year? Well, that, that's code. the other issue is you the know you want, a two year. Yeah, you want to get public safety whiplash. Yeah, you know it. And and what do we do, Bill? So you know, is this like you know marijuana? Where okay, we find you guilty. Uh, you're going to be under parole and whatever the case is. Don't do it again. Two years later, the law goes away. Do we go expunge your right. your you know your right. record now? Right. I mean, that which was temporarily illegal right. becomes uh, becomes legal again right. that which was legal now becomes temporarily illegal and and again it's you know we we use euphemisms and stupid phrases like kicking the can down the road um this is like uh, leaving a turd in the punch bowl 
I mean, it, it, how do you how do you get around it? How do you deal with it? But but the language itself, again, I think I said it earlier. They are trying to cut with a scalpel, but they can't. They can only do it with a sledgehammer because what they do is they end up collecting up games of skill because game of skill is a game of skill. We've had them had infinitum since time immortal. They've been illegal in Virginia. Games of skill are what you see at the county fair or the state fair. Right. Um, they're Galaga or Miss Pac-Man. And the way that they define you know, a, a skill game as having some internal counter, quite frankly, can be seen as being almost anything. Right. And how the hell is a cop going to know when he looks at the machine, that's got an internal counter that does A, B, and C. How's he going to know that? How's he going to get a search warrant to find that out? He doesn't have enough probable cause because it doesn't look anything different from anything else. And it's going to sweep up the Dave and Busters again and the Chuck E. Cheeses again and create a whole mess that couldn't because they just can't help themselves. Then they say, what's an appropriate reward? You know, you only get an appropriate reward equal to the value of the game that you put in it. Well, if I play Miss Pac-Man and I'm damn good at it, I put a quarter in and I get 10 free replays, which right. is basically 75 cents to another dollar, that game is illegal. That right. game is illegal. A teddy bear. You know, if I, if I do ring toss and I win a big giant teddy bear, if the ring toss costs me 50 cents, but I win a $10 teddy bear, well, then, you know what? The carny over there is going to jail. Right. I'm going to make a lot of money as a lawyer. <laughs> they don't know what they're doing. And so nothing that they put in the new language changes anything that they had in the old language. Again, it's either ban them all or let them tax and regulate. Right. That you can't you cannot cut and that's one really, part out and leave another really, part in. Glenn, you already know this, but just for the people listening, that's all small business owners like me and this group of businesses and business owners that have gotten behind this crusade we're on. All we want is to legally be able to operate our games, be appropriately taxed and regulated. We stay in our lane. It's plenty of business for all of us. We stay in our lane, do our business. The casinos do their, stay in their lane, do their business. Rosies, internet, lottery, whatever the case may be. But you know, we we just we feel like that we deserve uh, and are have every right to operate our games the way we always have. Do it legally, appropriately, um, and 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 what I hope eventually we get to. Once we get through these hurdles with court and otherwise, that we all sit down in a room one day and work on what is really the enemy of all of us, and that's the illegals. That's what we really have got to come together on and give some enforcement powers back to not only whether it be ABC or our local Commonwealth attorneys or, you know, nobody knows what to do now, how to do it. You're talking about a lawsuit, talking about going in and trying to lock somebody down for what? I mean, it's too much. You know, too much vagueness. So I hope eventually and sooner rather than later, we put all this behind us, get on the same page, put the proper things in place for us to operate, you know, like we're supposed to in the casinos and, and Rosies. And then we put our teams together to get rid of the illegals. That's really what Well, it's what not we only do. that. I mean, look, um, casinos have the motto that the house always wins. Skill games, the difference is whether it's ring toss or one of these games, gaming devices in the truck stop, is that the player can win every time using a skill or her skill. These illegal games, the proliferation of such, are not only games of chance, they're manipulated even worse against the player. And then there's no tax revenue, there's no taxes collected, uh, it's usually a criminal element involved somehow, somewhere, and somebody's in a little room in their computer controlling the odds, it's a manipulation of the person who's trying to enjoy and maybe spend their money in a way that they feel like they can or they want to. 
And so we have to do something about that. Quite frankly, I think we could use the proceeds from skill game regulation and tax to clean up all the illegal gaming. And then keep it away. You know, you could create zones for casinos and all the other things and do it in harmony, homogeneously, instead of in this kind of patchwork uh, it's, attack it's zone nothing that they have more, right no, now. Nothing more frustrating, whether it be in this line of work or any other business, when you get caught up in somebody else's you know, shadow as far as collateral damage, you might say. Because people say to me all the time, you know, they put all of us together in a group. You know, so you, you should just go along with this, go along with that, you know, whatever. And I'm like, that, that'd be just like find some other way if, to make if, income. If Glenn Davis is driving through Emporia and he gets a speeding ticket, but it write me a ticket. He did he he did wrong, not me. And uh, it's just it's just an unfortunate. Yeah, I know a little bit about that feeling. So, <laughs> so I mean, you know, we've got a court case, but where do you see us all right now in the legislature? I mean, I've got a basically R thirty six. I've got to abstain right, right. for the reasons I talked about earlier. Where do you see this going? And, I mean, and you know, you've even been talking about really taking some action on behalf of convenience stores, mm-hmm. restaurateurs, truck stops, the small business owner, and the person that likes to play these games will never show up at the Portsmouth Casino. Right. You know, what are your ideas about that? Well, I mean, you know, I, I you know, you and I've had a conversation. I'm in the middle of drafting some legislation. Um, you know, we all, Bill, you've heard it, I'm sure, since you've been in, in General Assembly. I heard it from day one that we don't pass legislation that impacts a pending lawsuit. Um, you know, not only does this impact the pending lawsuit, but it was actually in there to impact the pending lawsuit. Yes. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, there should be that level playing field. So I'm in the process of drafting that legislation uh, and getting that dropped. I Good for you. You know, we, 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 we need to do something to, you know, provide that level playing field and, and get fairness and have, honestly, at this point, have fairness in the courts, right? I mean, that's all we're looking for at this point. Uh, you know, Herman, you said it many a times, you know, if, if this had gone through the courts and the courts ruled against you, so be it. You know, you had your day in court, right? right. You, there was no thumb on on the on on the on the weight, but but obviously that's what's happening now is you got that piece, you know, the, the thumb being put on it. So yeah, um, on the scale, of yeah, justice. On the scale, yes. yeah. So mm-hmm. take the thumb off the scale and, and give you that fair day. So I think that's kind of where you know I think you know my head is right now, Bill, is seeing if we can do something to you know have that fairness in the court and obviously going into next year. You know what I'm seeing right now, and especially with the economy swirling around us, high inflation. We're seeing a a tilt in the job market going downward. Um, We've had record revenues in the Commonwealth of Virginia. We've been very fortunate. I think what we saw in the last budget process, which is the first end of the biennium, we had so much revenues. There were a lot of pet projects, and and they were spending money like drunken sailors in Singapore, and everybody wanted some piece for this or that. I don't think that well stays that deep. I think the well will dry. And, you know, where do you think we're going to be next year? I mean, tax and regulate. In terms of revenues, are we going to be missing maybe that quarter of a billion dollars that all of a sudden uh, would pay for lab schools or something else that, uh, that it's the governor's priority? I don't think that even the court case ends the matter. Right. Obviously and ultimately, I, like you, believe that the legislature has to make a policy, policy decision, and it's the best. I think it's in our best interest to make it in favor of small business. And I, do you agree with that? Oh, 100%. You know, level playing field for the small businesses. Um, you know, it's it's kind of interesting. So, you know, my background's tech, and I like to look out, you know, down the road. And um, I've done some business inside the, the virtual reality space, the augmented reality space. Um, you know, the casinos don't know what's coming. I mean, I will tell you, you know, you give me a building with 20 10 by 10 rooms, and I'll give you a casino without paying for anything. I mean, you know, I, I had a bill this year, Bill, and it didn't make it over to the Senate. Um, it was, I, I, I hate when government 
tries it, it tries to regulate things and technology makes them irrelevant, right? Or or laws that become irrelevant because we're always behind. Right, too. we're always behind. Always behind. And, and so you know, I, I like to play Texas Hold'em. I you know, I, I don't consider the game a skill. I or a game of luck. I consider it skill. And if we all play, we can you understand that. But um, you know, it's illegal to play online. Um, but it's interesting that for three dollars a month, you go to NordVPN, and uh, you know, you look like you have an IP address from you know Dallas and now you can play online Texas Hold'em not that any of us ever would because it's illegal um, but but the same thing exists so you get that same $3 a month VPN and you go to ignitecasino.com and you know you can't go there with a Virginia v, uh, IP address but with a Dallas or I think 20 other states you can go there those casino games they're not they're not um, uh, um, animated it's a real dealer on the other side of his blackjack it's a real person spinning the roulette wheel what they've done is they've given you this camera as if you're sitting on the chair wow. um so all that exists so if you've looked at the virtual reality space where you can put on a headset and have 360 degrees 4k now what does it take for me to have a casino in an area well it takes a small room with a couple of those headsets um and and that's about it and and a partnership with ignite casino or pick someone there's a reason why these casinos are starting these virtual reality spaces because they know that going into these brick and mortars are not going to be necessary, that you can almost get the same experience from sitting in your living room and being in that space. Um, well, you know, that allows the small entrepreneur that's innovative to get in that space and heavily compete against the casinos. Now, what are you going to do? Right. So I get a feeling the casinos have a, a bigger fight coming. Uh, when we can create the same thing they're creating, arguably in a virtual world for one thousandth the cost. Yeah, and that's that's the, uh, it's going to revolutionize everything, isn't it? I wanted to ask you. You touched on some, well, Bill touched on it earlier. How do you, as a delegate, how do you plan to replace the loss of revenue from the skill games? It was one hundred and forty, one hundred forty-three million, one hundred fifty million. It's been estimated at, at least that a point, whatever billion you know, to a half a billion dollars a year. You know, how do you? Because you're a budget yeah, guy, yeah. that's the part that you like. How yeah. do you factor that back in over, you know, you extrapolate that loss over a couple of budget ses sessions, maybe? How do you fill that void? Well, I mean, it, it obviously our revenues grow every year um, and it impacts whether it impacts public safety, whether it impacts education, whether, it's going to impact something, right? Sure. Whether it impacts just the reserve. Uh, that we will do. I mean, every dollar makes a difference. Now, I will tell you, there's, you know, I can't tell you what specifically it's going to impact. And, you know, we deal with a rather, you know, large, what is it, you know, $200 billion, you know, by any budget. But, um, but it obviously it has an impact. This year, you know, Hermie spoke to it. And, you know, one thing I, the governor was amazing. So we're our, our, our you know, money committee chairs. Um, we recognize a lot of the money we had this year was one time funding. So it got used on one time expenses. Um, but there's, an interest on some of that to probably be some lobbyists out there have a desire for some of that to continue forward on some of these things but that requires funds not a decrease in funds but a continuation of certain funds that unfortunately like with the skill games may not be continuing because yeah. a good rule of practice is don't take one-time money for mm -hmm. reoccurring expenses exactly. correct yes sir hard for that government entity not to do <laughs> i mean it's hard to do but it's what you want to try to do yep well and, you know, we're going to be looking for new revenue streams. We're running out. Once marijuana becomes legal, you've got that. I mean, we're making legal all the vices at this point in time. I don't know what we've got left except prostitution, which got to help us if we do that. <laughs> but, you know, the, the thing that we have in front of us is to be mindful of the taxpayer money, mm -hmm. but also be mindful of the businesses that make the tax, that generate the taxes. Yeah. 
And so this is a really small business issue. I know it's near and dear to your heart, and I, and, uh, I just love your advocacy. But, you know, we've got an election coming up. Not, Of course, this year's the congressional midterms. We're coming up in new districts. Uh, I I better hear you're running again, right? right? Yep, yep. Out there, I mean, you know, Barry and I have been friends. Uh, we're we're colleagues. We're we in the same area. We probably live within three miles of each other, if that, as the crow flies. Barry Knight. Barry Knight. And you're in uh, the same district. We're with in Barry the same. We're in the same district. So we uh, we've talked about you know there may be a friendly primary coming around. So we'll we'll wait and see. Wow. Okay. Well, now. Do you have a website where people who are interested in your campaign can go and and learn more about you and maybe contribute or get to know you or I, reach out? And I call do. You? It's uh, it's um, www.glenrdavis.com. It's uh, Glenn with two N's, the letter R Davis.com, and they can find out a lot about me, what I've done in the past, uh, working with you, and Absolutely. and obviously you know uh, support us as we go forward. L- listen, a, a couple things. Number one, Barry Knight was against small businesses and these and these games and in favor of casinos. So that should give you one indicator if you're listening to this podcast. That's one That's one contrast you can, you can draw. I mean, Republicans, we tend to believe in the same kind of things, but there are differences, especially about how we treat our small businesses and how we treat uh, individuals and the like. And I think that's one contrast that you can make. One, one thing I would tell anybody who's listening uh, with regard to Glenn, here is a man that, that absolutely understands not just what's good for his district, but that what's good in other districts in other regions is good for all of Virginia, that a commonwealth means a common good, yes. and that a rising tide floats all ships. He worked very hard to bring industry into the Danville region, the city of Danville, which has been fighting to gain back in its economic uh, vitality. Mm-hmm. And this man championed and worked tireless, tirelessly for that, and I, I can't thank you enough for that. I mean, you. you didn't have to do that, but he did. And so that, you know, when you get Glenn Davis in the General Assembly, he's thinking about Virginia Beach, but he's thinking about Southside Virginia. He's thinking about a poor. He's thinking about all these. Look, he is. Mm-hmm. He is. He had to say. Think about a speeding ticket he got. Yeah, how about a poor yacht? But not only that, then I remember um, I got a bill across from the Senate and I got chopped up in the House because I guess the VHSL was not paying attention to the Virginia High School League. But I believe that robotics should be made a sport and that those children. Young men and women who participate in athletic, you know, athletics—they get a letter, they get recognition. There's a state championship. That it should be for the robotics team because I always said in robotics the difference between playing sports in high school like we did and somebody engaged in robotics is the chances of you know Hermie or somebody going pro in pro after playing varsity baseball is very small. Very small. The chance of going pro after win- at being on the robotics team is 100%. Oh, yeah. And let me tell you, on the on the House side, I've never seen anybody fight so hard for something that wasn't his bill but just said, look, guys, this is common sense. We lost. Yep. And and I, I can't thank you enough for that kind of tenacity, that kind of advocacy. That really meant a lot to me. And that's why when anything comes over on the Senate side, man, I'm there to help you, Glenn. Thank you. If you look at my record, I don't think I voted against anything you've ever done in, in maybe Medicaid expansion. Right. But, um, but, but that's what you need in Virginia. That's the kind of legislator you need. You know, not a guy that goes up there and likes being called delegate. Right. I don't think that matters to you. Nope. It's about getting the job done and really leaving that legacy. But you know what happened after all that? He didn't stop. He kept pressing them. I kept pressing them. VHSL made it a sport type basis with a state championship type that they're that they're rolling out gradually and giving out letters. Cool. So we didn't li- win in legislation, but we we intimidated the VHSL enough, and it wasn't just from me. It was a lot of Glenn Davis there. So people, when you think about who to vote for, who to send back to the House of Delegates, in my mind, it's a no brainer because you think about everybody else. You don't think about yourself. Other legislators don't do that. Other legislators get bound up in special interest. I've never seen that with you. 
you know that there's character integrity when Glenn Davis is sitting on the floor arguing for you and fighting for you. So well, that are you means available a lot to, to come me. to South Hill for a couple of months? <laughs> <laughs> I, I am. Uh, Glenn, I wanted, uh, on behalf of all the small businesses that I, by proxy, have been uh, representing in this in this crusade, not certainly not asking you to take a side on one, one way or the other, but I appreciate what you're doing about being open-minded. I appreciate you taking a look at maybe dropping some legislation to help us try to get this problem fixed fairly and equitably uh, for everybody involved. That's really the end goal of what we're trying to do. So thank you for, you know, taking that stand. And um, I concur with, um, you know, Senator Stanley that the people in Virginia Beach have got a decision to make next year. And if you're, if you're, it seems it pretty easy to me. If you're, if you're, if you understand (laughs) the importance of small business and the people that work there and the operators all the jobs, uh, all the all the needs that small businesses feel in communities like we live in, uh, you might want to take a good hard look at uh, Delegate Glenn Davis. So thank you so much for yeah. for being here. And let me tell you one story. One, this is my favorite Glenn Davis story. Glenn Davis, I think it's 2019. Last time he ran, I think so. Um, he's running for re-election in the House of Delegates. He puts on his campaign finance report, if I remember correctly, a $44,000 in-kind donation from the Democrat Party because they had run attack ads that he said were so effectively helping him, he felt like he had to give them credit. You claimed it, huh? Well, so I, it's funny story <laughs> about genius. that is, uh, so, you know, we, uh, we have our, our, um, uh, our attorney for, our, our, you know, for the Republican Party of Virginia, right? Yeah. Marsden, I think. Yeah. And so I called Chris, and actually my, my analysis was is that they ran all these attack ads against me, and they're all false. And I used them in my own videos, and I used them in my own mail pieces. I used them as I was walking towards <laughs> and Anytime I saw a group of individuals, I showed them the ads. And I said, Chris, I said, there's an inherent cost for them to print these things. And now I'm using them. I think I have to claim that cost as an in-kind. And he laughed his rear end off and said, Glenn, you can actually interpret it that way. So I did. And uh, the Democrats <laughs> hit the roof on that one. Yeah, it was um, They called it a gimmick or something, didn't they? But the, the amount of, so I, it was legally done. I, you know, it was actually investigated. Um, they, really? the, the Democrats actually reached out to our Commonwealth attorney in Virginia Beach, who then had to bring someone, a different Commonwealth attorney in, uh, to opine on it. I was, they were investigating me on that, and they said, nope, Glenn was within the law of doing this. Uh, <laughs> but they hit the roof uh, over that one at the Democrats. So the Democrat side. Party of Virginia turned out to be one of your bigger donors. Yep, yep. That is a great irony, and that That's demonstrates funny. the character and integrity and also humor. Uh, that he treats with his job as much as he takes it so very seriously. So, Glenn Davis, my hat's off. A tip of the cap to you, my friend. Bill, thank you. And thank you for fighting for small business. Uh, Look forward to to doing that fight one more time. we got another General Assembly session coming up in January, and then we got a great election fight coming up to regain the Senate, maintain the House, and and be able to put Glenn Youngkin's very good business-like for small business agenda uh, and for students and for schools and for parents on the fast track and not have them blocked by these uh, these brick wall Democrats in the Senate. Yeah, so, we're going to get there. God bless you, Glenn Davis. Uh, I'm proud and honored to call you friend. Oh, same here, Bill. Thank you. Thank you, Glenn. Appreciate Thank you, you being here. I told you I can bring the heat. I can bring a top-tier guest. I just did it. Got it? Just did it. Okay. You want me to do it credit. again? Yeah. Can you be on next week, Glenn? <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. So, ladies and gentlemen, One a great 10, podcast. I mean, how informative. And, and so, you, you know, a lot of times we see politicians on TV – they care about the power. They care about getting reelected. They don't care about doing the work. I love when there's just somebody who's sitting there and saying, I'm putting down all that I got to do in my business, all the responsibility I have to come up here and work my tail off. He's the first one usually in the office, last one to leave. Um, I'm not like that totally. But, I, you know, we work 14, 15-hour yeah, days. Yeah. I like to go home and cook, as you know. But we still work. And, uh, 
and I wish there were just more of him. Well, Bill, 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 it's it's like you, right? I mean, so when I came in as a freshman, there were people I looked to as mentors, and you're one of them, right? Because I look, can you really fight? And 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 you're one of those people on the center floor. I mean, you have something you're passionate about. It doesn't matter if, who's against you. It doesn't matter whether you're going to win or lose that year. And you have to, you know, you're going to fight for it. And yeah. and that's what we need more of. And that's you know. I as a freshman and others looked and and you're one of those individuals that we can say okay we're gonna we're gonna model that person and and we know that you know there is that um that light at the end of the tunnel type scenario if you continue the fight for something that you know is right so i appreciate it Glenn, you know, I, got, I got i got somebody here that kind of could pick up that mantle as well They're living in uh, south side virginia could take on like and have the biggest race ever if, if uh, louise lucas moved into the new 17th senate district He's sitting right across from me, Hermie Sadler. I mean, wouldn't that be great having him in the legislature? Because he wouldn't give to you, you put poops him on the spot, what anybody man. thought. You put him on the yeah. spot, man. So, so, I, so, you know, we hadn't taught the wrestling thing, but I can only imagine the people you'd be bringing down. I mean, oh. Nick Mann coming in. Yeah, 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 yeah I can't yeah, imagine. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. So. Well, we've had a lot of people on the show that he's brought on, and they've all said, yeah, well, I'll come give a concert. <laughs> I'll come do a, a, a wrestling show. Right. You know, uh, we, we we that would be the most creative and fun campaign to watch. But you know, Glenn, we, we use this like platform to you. encourage people as to what Senator's talking about to get involved. You've got to get involved with your school boards, your local town councils, your board of supervisors. You do. You've got to get involved and create this grassroots of movement all the way up through Richmond, all the way up to D.C. to make this happen. And you being a business person and taking the initiative to get involved. Is it just says a lot about your character. So oh, thank you. Keep encouraging people to get involved. See, I told you we could talk to him all day. We just about did. Almost. Glenn, please come back. And <laughs> especially maybe next year, uh, we'll be right here at the Stanley Law Group skyscraper overlooking beautiful capital of the Commonwealth of Virginia and here in downtown Richmond. We'll be running this podcast, doing the same thing. Let's come back. Let's do some updates. Let's see where we are. Love Perfect. to have you back, okay? Love to do it. Thank you all. Hermie, what do you think? I like it. Told you. See? I don't want to hear no crap from you anymore that I can't bring again. Okay? You too, Shep. So anyway, we're going to wrap this up. I think uh, it's an amazing podcast. I think we've learned a lot. I think we've... You have a hard time going off the air, don't nah, you? you know. I'm afraid... I've been inspired. I'm afraid you're going to read the ad about, you know, from my, uh, my wife's business. Ladies and gentlemen, we certainly enjoyed it. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm leaning right. And I'm Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left. This is Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. Thanks for listening in, and we'll see you next week. See you next week. God bless you all.